Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a amateur, I suppose. Amateur hour is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour is what's Ain't no podcast can compete with AHPKC. Don't you know the amateurs are always bringing heat? Ain't no podcast can compete with AHPKC. Did you really think we'd quit before 2019? His darkness makes great nicknames and clever games And Ryan runs things and goes by three names We waken up out our slumber because of Mahomes Spagnolo. it's showtime at Arrowhead minus the heartbreaks What about that dude in the cheetah print? Andy, reads the best, he owns the AFC West Eating burgers in a Bahama, football fun and friendship and watch Kins, we're amateurs and Chiefs fans But please do not mistake us with professional shows Because ain't no podcast can compete with AHPKC, AHPKC don't you know these amateurs are always bringing heat? Ain't no podcast can compete with AHPKC. Did you really think we quit before 2019? Yeah, baby, that's right. It's the last time you're going to hear me rap before the Chiefs are crowned Super Bowl champions. I am Ryan Scott Hall. Welcome to Amateur Hour, folks. And joining me today is the architect, the brainchild, the man, the myth, the legend who has invented... Is it invented? I don't know what you did. But you know what? It's his darkness, and he's all about the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. Super Bowl, baby! Yeah! I liked that. That was good. Yeah, I just came up with it. Just just now. <laughs> right now, off the cuff. Woo! Okay, so, Dirk, I want to start right here. Start. Let's get it started. Do you remember... Yeah. My, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> my, my season outlook, my theme for 2019. No. Super Bowl or bust, baby. Ah. Um, check. The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Live Tyler. Let's go. <laughs> Super Bowl Live Nightclub, which is, is the biggest nightclub in Miami. I have heard. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. That's the one people always party. That's the one Dirk Nowitzki partied one championship at after the, winning in Miami. The Live Nightclub. Yes. Wow. I don't know what that says about this Super Bowl, but uh, I don't know. everyone's really excited that uh, it's in Miami. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's weird. I keep looking for signs. Like all, I mean, I was, I was in Colorado last week. Uh, found myself on a run named Andy's Revenge. Oh. Uh, I, I just couldn't. I mean, everything that was happening, I'm just like, oh my god, what does this mean? What does this mean? It's just, uh, it's a, it's a crazy time to be a Chiefs fan. I will say that it definitely is. Um, I mean, I think that the biggest plus, and maybe this is low hanging fruit for Chiefs fans, but the biggest plus about the game being in Miami, Andy Reid's wardrobe. 
I can't wait to see Andy Reid at all these media day appearances. Did you see the team today? I have not seen the team There today. is a large collection of Chiefs players all wearing matching Hawaiian shirts. Oh my god. There is a picture of them on a, it looks like a bus, and it's a good, you know, ten of them at least, including Patrick Mahomes, all wearing Hawaiians in support of their head coach, Mr. Andy Reid, soon to be top ten NFL coach of all time. After he reels in the one that has gotten away. Well, here's the deal. That's just such an arrogant way to be preparing for a Super Bowl. That's just so arrogant. I can't stand this Kansas City Chiefs team. You're mocking someone. Is it Skip Bayless? What planet does Skip Bayless think that like that is a take to have? I know that he was speaking in reference to, if you guys missed this story, Skip Bayless um, saying that the Chiefs are too arrogant and that they need to be taken down all because Eric Bieniemy says every play he calls is intended to be a touchdown. <laughs> and I've but, seen people commenting but, saying that like Eric Bieniemy has said this multiple times throughout the year, but just the most recent is the one that... That'd, you know, be, that'd be like, you know, like... Calling Herm Edwards arrogant because because he says they're playing to win the game. Like, oh, how dare you? You're playing to win what every game? You think you can win every game? <laughs> Jesus, that's uh, well done. Um, listen, before we like really get rolling today, um, I do want to send some some thoughts, some prayers, some well wishes to our dear friend Danny Parkins. He and his superhero wife Stephanie. Your buddy Omar, yeah. and now uh, we have Owen Daniel Parkins in the world. About to be the best NFL tight end in twenty forty four. He's gonna be he's gonna be real tall. Both of his parents they got the length. There you go. So um, I mean, if you guys didn't see, congratulations to Danny and Steph on the birth of their new baby boy. Danny, listen, man. We love you big time. I know you're not listening to this, but whatever. It well, to balance matter. that out, Danny also picked the Chiefs and has bet on the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, so uh, he might also cost us a Super Bowl. So I know. mean, that's fine. Yeah, but I mean, Danny, like that—that's fine. <laughs> within within ten minutes of the game being over, yeah. Danny is sending us a text and being, you know, congratulations, guys, you deserve it. I'm really happy for yeah. for the two of you. Yeah, and, um, it's cool to have a connection like that with somebody that isn't even in this city anymore. And still, like, has a heart for this football team. And I feel like this is a really small picture of kind of what a lot of the country seems to be doing right now. Which is just like, you know what? Like, it might it might just be Andy's time. And I don't think that anyone's fighting against it because Andy Reid is beloved across the country. He sure is. Uh, we should also say, I mean, we're recording this at a weird time. Uh, Kobe Bryant, the news just dropped about 15 minutes before we started. Yeah. Uh, I broke it to Ryan, so, uh, I don't know, feel weirdly emotional. I was not a Kobe fan by any means. Uh, I mean, obviously, if people know me, they know I cheer against the best teams, typically, so the Lakers were that for a long time. Uh, so I was more of a Kobe hater than anything, but man, sometimes deaths just come by and, and drop one on you, and that's a, that's a huge one, man. I can't... It's it's uh, that's that's a big one. It's it's it reminds me of, um, and this is more personal to me and not as globally, but Philip Seymour Hoffman dying on the morning of the Super Bowl between the uh, Seahawks and Broncos, and that's maybe the death that affected me the most in my life, like celebrity death that affected me most yeah. in my life. Uh, and that was around Super Bowl time too. So um, 
you know, we're kind of coming over that. It's a weird emotional thing. We just watched a uh, hype video from our, our boy Brady Cummings to try and get us back in the mood because it was, I know, it's, it's, it's a little somber. Even though I wasn't a Kobe Bryant guy, that one still kind of got to me. It's just, just a weird weird time right now. We just want to be uh, upfront about all that. Yeah, I mean, and if and everyone, like, wants to talk to me about Kobe Bryant, he was my favorite basketball player for a long time, yeah. we can do that on Twitter. This is a Super Bowl show. Yeah, I'm sure. not I'm not going to bore you with any of my Kobe anecdotes. Nope. But, you know, setting the scene, it is a little strange. It's just, yeah, it's, just sort of it's, I mean, it's, like it's on the TV behind Ryan's shoulder right now, just news <laughs> about, about Kobe Bryant. So, uh, yeah, a weird time. Um, but, yeah, here we are. We're a little bit late. Sorry for the delay. But the good news, you get amateur hour after a bye. And everybody knows that the amateur hour record coming off a of bye week is nearly undefeated. All right. You know... I just want to start by saying that it was worth it. Um, and and <laughs> it. What, whatever... It. What was it? <laughs> whatever it needs to be, I think for pretty much any Chiefs fan out there, um, just fill in that blank for yourself. You know, whether we're talking about all of the heartbreaking losses, whether we're talking about Anthony Hitchens' contract... <laughs> Whether we're talking about, you know, trading for Reggie Ragland or Patrick Mahomes or trading away my beloved son, Marcus Peters. There you go. All these different things that have happened that have, like... An Alex Smith debate that may have lasted a, a minute? Six a minute? Years? It may have had its 15 minutes of fame? I mean, and not even that. Like, how about an Eric Fisher debate that still very quietly probably happens in different corners of the internet? I, well, I saw a fun rainy Jazzarelli tweet. A uh, KC guy. Jazzarelli. I think it's, it's Jazzarelli. I have no idea. <laughs> Jazzarelli sounds just, like the like a, a different version of Jazzercise. It's just uh, so, someone else is leading Jazzercise. It's like the knockoff. Jazzarelli. But, but he was talking about how we always thought we were snake-bitten because Andrew Luck went the year before. Uh, number one overall, and then we had the number one pick after, and there was no quarterback to be taken. And now Andrew Luck is retired, and now we have a Pro Bowl left tackle defending the blind side of the best quarterback in the, the, the man has ever, the God, <laughs> the, the field has ever seen. Yeah, you know, I just, it, it was worth it. These last eight years, as you put on Twitter, you know, we basically did it all for, for this. this show. For this moment. You this, know? These two weeks, this, this everything. It's... It was to say I, I felt very emotional that night. Uh, I was I was walking around hugging everybody in my living room at the bar, uh, you know, via Twitter, via Twitter hugs. Uh, but man, just felt very emotional. It was it made me think of just the different phases of my life watching the Chiefs and just the people that I've watched them with. You know, like my brothers when I was younger uh, in high school with my with my buddies Dave and Nate, Ryan, and all these guys. John, and then Rob comes into the mix, and then you come into the mix, the Colombians, meeting people on Twitter, Craig Stout, Chief Bearcat last few games. I mean, I'm, I know I'm leaving people, not to mention the, the fans of AHPKC, it's just the, the love I have for all of them. It's just, it all, it's just been floating in my head these last, and I'm, I'm not the type to get that sentimental like that, but man, the AFC Championship, it was bringing it out. And, and a few beers along the way. Well, I mean, as I've gone back uh, over the past week or so and thought about, you know, whether it's stuff like my relationship with my dad, uh, which, you know, I talked about with Josh a little bit uh, this week over on 810 and 
Um, you know, my relationship with you, it exists because of this football team, but... Because I mean, of this football team? Yeah. I mean, don't Literally the first time like, we met, we went to a Chiefs game. We went to a Chiefs-Vikings, was it 2011, maybe? I think that's probably right. Donovan McNabb. It was a win. Peterson. Yep. And we sat in very good seats, right mm-hmm. behind the Vikings sideline. Uh, literally the first time we met. I, um... Almost what, nine years ago now? Eight, eight, nine years ago? And when you think about, like, everything that's happened, um, I mean, we have traveled near and far together, <laughs> like, multiple places inside and outside of America. Um, this podcast really has, like, changed my life in a lot of ways. And you look at the generosity of the people around us, too, and whether it's, you know... The Colombians, I don't even know how to put the Santos family in perspective. Like, there's not... It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You can't, you yeah, can't, even, it doesn't make sense. can't even go there. Um, they will be at the Super Bowl, by the way, and the Santos have never been at a game with the Chiefs lost. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. They have been at both playoff games here at Arrowhead. Um, they love the Chiefs maybe even more than us, which is um, a huge shout-out. That's, that's impressive. Right. Impressive work there. Uh, but, yeah, they will be in, in, in attendance. But, I mean, think about all the different random times that just because people know how much we love this team that they've reached out to try to do something. Uh, And, I mean, not just, like, Mexico City do something, but, like, how many games have we gone to with a guy like Ryan Ewing? Or random people on Twitter that are just like, hey, I have tickets that I'm not going to use. Do you guys want to go? I mean, the time that BJ reached out to us when we had to watch Sammy Watkins dunk all over the Chiefs in the first half of that Bills game, and then, you know, Alex Smith and Jeremy Macklin bringing us back, baby. <laughs> but, like, you're just getting a random text, like, the night before a game. Hey, do, do you guys free in the morning? Why do you want to go? Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing, and that's why I think, you know, when we look at, as much as you want to say, like, Andy Reid deserves it, and man, does he. Um, this city and this fan base and these people... Um, it really is like a, a great big family and I've never been around such a like gigantic and generous community of people. And to me, like, I mean, when we win the Super Bowl, it's going to be fantastic. And yeah, I'm saying when I don't care, I'm confident. I'm just, it's where we're at. No, no other way to think right now. I have zero F's left to give. Um, but I think so much of it is, it's it's about the people, and it's about this really, really special place, uh, Dirk's living room. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was a, uh, it was funny, listening to all those sports shows, I was really excited to like listen to everything, you know, obviously after it happens, and it was funny hearing just national podcasts or shows just be like, man, what a shitty day of football, because both games, neither of them really that great, I mean, Chiefs, first half of Chiefs-Titans, I'd say was good on a... Uh, you know, neutral fan observant level, uh, but in the end, not really that close. Chiefs pulled away up seventeen or eighteen in the towards the end there, and just hear them say like, "Man, what a shitty day of football!" And I was like, "Huh, I didn't even notice. I thought it was the greatest sport <laughs> day of my sports life." Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. It was. It didn't even. It didn't even occur to me. Like, obviously, that second game was shitty, but like, it, it made it so I could just go out and, and party on the town and and party with the people. Uh, but yeah, didn't even realize how shitty the day of football was until I listened to to the, to the broadcast the next day or throughout this week. So I want to ask you a couple things. Um, you know, when you look back on that day, the day that the Chiefs win the AFC Championship. Yes. 
Um, what are the... If you have, like, two or three things that stand out about kind of what transpired that day, and it doesn't matter if it's stuff from the living room or stuff from the game or stuff from Westport, like, what what are the lasting memories of that specific day that the Chiefs break through and finally punch their ticket to a Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years? I mean, the first and foremost has to be the run. Mm-hmm. And that's what it shall be known as, is the run. Um, ironically, Nebraska already also has a the run in their history with Tommy Frazier breaking about eight tackles uh, in their in their utter romp of Florida in a national championship game. Uh, and me and my buddy John, who's also a Nebraska fan, we were debating whether which one was greater because you know the, the Nebraska one came in like a forty point blowout, but the Mahomes one came. You know we were losing at the time, and it gave us a feeling like we can't lose this game, yeah. even though it's before halftime and we're leading by four. It just, I mean. Did anybody think a loss is even on the table at that point? It was just... And and even mid-play, I'm sitting there like, what does he do it? Like, throw it away or do something, Mahomes. And then he he gives a little subtle fake. He rounds that corner like, okay, here's some room. Like, get some yards and get out of bounds. Nope. He cuts back inside. Draws contact about six yards out from the end zone. Spins. Powers through. <laughs> gets into the end zone somehow. Our living room... Absolutely erupts. My buddy John comes in from the side, says he jumps as high as he has since high school, <laughs> lands on my dog, uh, what is that, dog mat, which is very slick on our wooden floors, completely eats shit. So he is just staring up at us, almost reminiscent of that Chiefs fan that fell into our seats the week oh. before at Arrowhead, <laughs> looking up, up at us with this fear uh, with this fear on, of, of, on his face, whatever I'm trying to say here. Uh, and, and we're all just collected around the TV within, you know, three feet. You know, we're all out of our chairs. We're all just right at the TV screaming. I nearly pass out from just screaming so much. And I, so I, I'm kind of on, on all fours on the ground just like, oh, God, don't pass out. <laughs> and, I mean, it's just a run that we will literally see for the rest of our lives. They, they'll be showing Mahomes highlights. They'll be showing Chiefs highlights. They will show that run on what hopefully becomes the first championship in 50 years. And that... That play, I thought, was was just it was it was everything from that game. So that's that's a clear number one for me. Um, I mean, that was the definite point where I knew that the game was over. Like, very rarely in sports do you get to see these moments where it's just like that. That is the story of the game. Um, and, and, and like a singular play like that, and it, not even like a fourth quarter play, not like a game deciding play before halftime. It's well, and the you know the thing about it is that we have these conversations sometimes about momentum in sports, and like it's just so palpable how that game changed at that point, um, and very very reminiscent. Uh, you you know you mentioned the the Nebraska run. When I saw the clip of Mahomes' run in high school, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is this is the same play!" Yeah. Like it was unbelievable how much it looked alike. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's on my Twitter feed. If you have not seen that, uh, I retweeted that. But I remember I'd heard about that before and probably seen it. But you know, once you see this run from the AFC Championship in the context of having seen that high school run, the last six yards are like identical. He's just like spinning. And, and powering and just like, you don't expect him to get in the end zone, and somehow he lands in the end zone. Of course, one was against a bunch of high school kids in Texas, and this one became an ASU championship game against a bunch of professional football players. 
you know, beyond the run, one of the things that really jumps out for me about that day, and this might seem like I'm toot tooting my own horn here, toot toot. but it's really kind of a humble brag for both of us. And it just, I felt like when this happened, I don't know, I felt in sync with the team and with my friend Dirk in a way that was super special and really memorable. The touchdown to Tyreek Hill. We're watching the motion across the field, and then Hardman runs this clear out, and Tyreek is kind of out of the frame. And I said, he's got Tyreek. And then Mahomes throws it, that just beautiful ball to Tyreek into the end zone, and we all scream and celebrate. And like two minutes later, Dirk looks at me and he's like, those are the exact words that were like happening in my head, and I just couldn't get them out of my <laughs> mouth. Like, it was just really cool to feel that moment of like it, this. This wasn't like, oh, I'm a football genius. It's just like I I watch this team so much and so hard that like sometimes you just you just get a moment like that, and mm-hmm. it felt it felt really cool in such a big game. To just see something before it happens like that. It was that was really fun. Yeah, and 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 speaking of those scores, I mean, I thought the story of the game, um, I thought that was the exact type of team and game plan that would have beaten the twenty thirteen through twenty eighteen Chiefs. Like, that was how many times have we lost that playoff game where we just sit there and debate, like, man, they had all these rushing yards, and then we debate if it's the offense or the defense and then all this. Um, and, you know, Mahomes is, is the X factor there that, that changes it all. Because if the Chiefs don't score touchdowns at 10 nothing and at 17-7, Derrick Henry gets, gets the ball 30 times in that game. Like, if we don't immediately answer with those scores, because they, they had it. The recipe was there. Like, it was the correct team. It was the correct <laughs> game plan. It was the correct first quarter, first quarter and a half. It, it, it was all there, and they were ready to ruin what we had but we had to answer in those two drives, and we did. And even breaking that down even further, Andy Reid's decision to go for it on that fourth and two is something that we've always we've always just been a little bit worried about. Is Andy going to be aggressive when it's when it's necessary? And it was and it was sitting there, and they're on the outskirts of field goal range. They could have easily kicked a field goal, and this is something we've been begging for with Andy Reid since Patrick Mahomes come here. Like you have the best player in the league, you have to be aggressive on fourth down. It just adds so much to your team. And he did it. He went for it. And I think people think he kind of hesitated. He took the time out before he did it. But I don't think he was ever going to kick the field goal. I think he just wanted to get the correct play in there. Um, and so I just think that was that was it. Because, I mean, if you kick a field goal there and it goes 10-3, or say you miss the field goal, and it's 10 nothing, and then the Titans have good field position, like, everything in that game could have gone differently. But Andy trusted his team, trusted his offense, trusted his quarterback, was aggressive with it. We converted easily on a little a little pass to Kelsey, and the offense never looked back. It just rolled from there. I, um, as I've been able to kind of <clears throat> let some of these things soak in, and honestly, just like look at the internet and see all of the different stats and research and stuff that has come out after that performance. You know, there's a few things that stand out, but ultimately the one that I think has grabbed me the most 
is looking at how the team defended Derrick Henry, um, him ultimately having fewer than 70 yards rushing after the Chiefs gave up close to 200 rushing to him when they played just, you know, seven or eight weeks ago. And you ended up seeing a guy that works with Warren Sharp. He talked about how through the full course of the game, the Titans only faced eight or more in the box from the Chiefs 12% of the time. Yes. And even in the first three quarters, it was only 17% of the time. Yes. A, a, so and, a quote-unquote stacked box. So if you're just looking at it, you know, traditionally, if you're in a normal formation, there'd be seven in the box. It's basically yeah, just seeing if there's... or three, four, like a base defense. And then you got two deep safeties. So you're basically seeing if there's one deep safety or if there's two deep safeties. If you only have one deep safety, then you probably have a stacked box. If there's two deep safeties, it's not a stacked box. So you'd think with Derrick Henry, because we kind of de- debated the strategy, I don't, not, so, not so much in the podcast, but just us in the living room before the game. Like, what do you, how do you defend the team? Do you, do you go after the run? Do you try and stop Derrick Henry? Or do you just try and take away the big plays? And I think um, what, you know, on, you know, talking to people on Twitter, talking to us in the living room, we all just kind of, our game plan was pretty much don't let them get the big plays. You know, let Derrick Henry get his. Don't let him break off any 50-yard runs. And then do not let them get the play option pass off. And so it was, the stat was, it was the least amount of stacked boxes the Titans had seen since week six. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just goes to show, man, that the defense got it done without stacking the box. Like, I've heard people say this week that, like, the Chiefs sold out to stop the run, the quote-unquote engage eight that people like to use a lot these days. But that wasn't the case. They, they didn't want to give away the big play, and they were going to let Derrick Henry get his. And even doing that, the defense did a fantastic job limiting him with the light box. So, to me, I mean, like, what that says... Uh, about the Chiefs' defense is, I mean, number one, when you think about Steve Spagnuolo and what he's been able to do as the team has really started to understand, you know, what he's asking for, when you're talking about, like, the mental side of the game, um, think, think about the games that Steve Spagnuolo can play with the players that he has. You know, the reason that everyone is so enamored with the performance of a guy like Tyron Matthew is because, think about all the different roles that that guy can play, right? Like, because you can line him up all over the defense, and we're talking like, this dude can do seven or eight different things on any given play, that's not just like, hey, this is a great chess piece. Think about how difficult that is for the offense to figure out what is Tyron Matthew actually doing on this play. Because he's capable of doing so many things. And because of stuff like that, I think that it gives Spagnola the ability to kind of sneak up on opponents and do a lot of different things and maybe like game-specific type of things based on the opponent. But the real X factor that you end up seeing with this defense, it's not as much as I would love to say, Daniel Sorensen. What it is, is just a complete change in attitude and mentality. Mm -hmm. Because if you think that the best way to defend the best running back and offensive line-like duo in the NFL this season is to just line up and say, man for man, we're better than you. That's what they did. The kind of like old school football take that you might hear, you know, that maybe people would commonly associate with like some of the guys that have been on 810 forever. 
Like that older generation of you got to build the line, you got to win the game in the trenches, you got to just have the will to win and fight those things out. Or and, and really, it's not really people's fault. I mean, that's how football was in the nineties. Like for the best running backs time. won won championships. That's just kind of how it was. And I mean, it's not even necessarily in the nineties. It's like for back yes, nineties nineties years and back. of football. Yes, yeah. You know, like. That is the history of this game. Or the 2019 San Francisco 49ers who attempted eight passes in a, in a championship game. <laughs> right. I, couldn't, I looked at that like two days later like, this isn't the final box score, is it? Like, I, it, it was really tough for me to comprehend. I but. think Garoppolo has like less than 20 attempts or something. It's like, it's, it's like Tannehill. Like the last two opponents just, just not even passing the ball. Well, What is a forward pass? If you think that, you know, the... I guess if you look at it, I don't know if this is like a Frank Clark thing. I don't know if it's a Mike Pinnell thing. I don't know if oh, it's yeah. a Matthew thing. Oh, you hit the, I don't you hit the right guys. You know, Steve Spagnolo thing. Like, there's just such a shift in their attitude and their demeanor. And it's here's here's the biggest thing for me. I'm going to give someone credit for this, and I could be wrong here, but the man that I really want to, I guess, applaud for getting the team in the right place and the right mindset to be able to play the way that they are right now defensively, it's Terrell Suggs. And I, I think that we're, we're talking about a guy that over these two playoff games has only played around half of the defensive That's about half, yeah. But a few weeks ago on this very podcast, we talked about the comments that Terrell Suggs had in the media maybe in his second or third week with the team, they asked him, you know, what's your early impression of, you know, the guys that you're playing with and being in Kansas City, what's the locker room like, whatever. And Terrell Suggs says they have swagger. Like in Swag. A way, in a way that it sounds, he's making it sound like that other teams don't. And when Terrell Suggs joins your football team in like week 11, and he's the only player instantly that has a Super Bowl ring on this roster. And he's been in All-Pro. He's been in all these Pro Bowls. He's won Defensive Player of the Year. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer that is still coming to work every day at 37 years old and making plays in these games. If Terrell Suggs comes to you and says, you guys have the recipe. You have the championship swagger. Imagine how edifying that is for a group of young men that have been working so hard trying to figure this out. Some of these guys have been grinding it here for a while. I mean, think about what that does for a guy like Tano Passanio, who plays that position with him, who gets to not only be coached inside of practice and like just get a guy to emulate and walk around and watch and try to learn from, but then to be told, and now maybe not man-to-man, face-to-face, but ultimately be told, like, you guys have what it takes to do this. Mm -hmm. And he fucking knows. Not that Spagnolo doesn't. It's different because he's still a player. He's on your level. It's it's, it's much just, different because a lot of these guys are younger than Suggs, so they would have grown up watching Suggs play, especially mm -hmm. the guys in the same position. Like, he's he's got to be one of their idols because you're watching him play throughout high school and college. Like, hey, look, this guy is one of the peak players at his position. I'm trying to be like that. And now all of a sudden, you're where you want to be, like, as as a 
player, you know, you're in the NFL at this point, and Terrell Suggs comes along, like, holy shit, one of my idols just joined, and now he's, you know, teaching me one-on-one. I saw a story about how Terrell Suggs took the linebackers off to the side and, and you know, just taught them moves for, you know, 15 minutes, and, it, and the story said, and nobody else said a word. They just sat there and listened. So it's just it, I heard like, hearing it from that. Hearing it from that was just it's it's gotta mean the world, and yes, it has to add to your conf- to the confidence of the team. I I heard that Matt House's reaction to that situation was just like I I watched too. Yeah, <laughs> like, I just like that was incredible to watch to to see him do that, and like I just. We've we've had all these different emotional leaders in Kansas City, you know, and and whether that made the team successful or not, like I mean, look, this is the first time they're going to the Super Bowl in fifty years, so clearly we're going to end up having some of these storylines, and it looks like maybe it worked better than it did in the past. But it's it's all of these different variables coming together. Going to a Super Bowl is really hard. Just ask Aaron Rodgers. Just ask you know winning a Super Bowl. Ask Andy Reid. Yeah, you know, ask guys like Dan Marino and Warren Moon who just carved people up for years but couldn't get it done. Ask a Chiefs fan. <laughs> ask a Chiefs <laughs> fan, right? I mean, it's I I think that I mean it's not like we gotta give the man a key to the city or anything, but I think that Toronto. You got a key to my apartment. Yeah. I think that Toronto. Come on in, Suggs. Dirt he deserves so much credit simply because he came in. He saw what he saw. He called it like he saw it, and the guys react to it. And because because you see it, right? Like, I feel like we could just for the next two hours of this podcast just play Frank Clark. Oh my god! Loop. I just let Frank Clark be like, who, who, who? People were daddy. Did that Frank Clark speech? It's. It's never, I think I retweeted it like five times this week. I just I would just stumble upon it again like, oh my god, it's perfect. They must not know who I am. Oh my god, dude. Like, and then the picture of him with his hair sticking out of his, his little head, uh, you know, ski mask kind of thing. He's got that, and then his tongue just hanging down. The picture of him the week before with just spit hanging down his beard. You know what it is? It's that dog. It's that dog, which they talked about multiple times this year. And you heard it come out of, the, out of the mouths of Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark over and over and over. And that's why I am here today to apologize to one man who I have been critical of and deserves apologies. Mr. Brett Veach. Mm-hmm. Mr. Brett Veach, I have been hard on you. I, I had a thing for John Dorsey. I thought it was a huge mistake in getting rid of John Dorsey. You had a, you had a bad first, a rough first year, which I thought people overlooked a lot. But this offseason, the job he did in, re- in revising that defense, completely turning it over when it could have been, it would have been very easy to just run it back. You could have brought Houston back. You could have franchised D Ford. You could have just brought back a lot of the same defense that was, you know, a coin flip away from, from playing in the Super Bowl. And nobody would have really faulted him for that. But he completely redesigned the defense. He thought that the defense did not have enough. Completely redesigned. I didn't agree with all of them. I'm still not sure if I totally agree with the Frank Clark move, even though I fucking love Frank Clark and I, I think he's a huge part of it. Like, that philosophically doesn't necessarily click with me, but it's hard to argue that it didn't work. And bringing in Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark are the two biggest moves they made this offseason, and both of them are home runs, in, in my opinion, at this point. Like, it's... Um, 
Yeah, bring, bringing those two in, I think, is, is the game changer. It changes the attitude of this defense. And then you look at smaller moves, too, which which he's made along the way. Trading for Charvarius Ward. Bringing in Mike Pinnell, Pinnell, Pinnell. Pinnell! Pinnell, Pinnell. The Pinnell district. Um, all these moves. And so I, I owe Brett Veach an apology. He, he got it done. The last year's defense, I don't think, survives that AFC Championship game. I, I don't think that they do. Um, and so, Brett Veach, you know, apologies to you. You're one of the reasons, one of the big reasons that we are here. And I'm down. I'm excited for the Brett Veach era. Bring it on. You know, here's the thing about Veach. Uh, I feel like if a general manager is doing his job, then what he's doing is having conversations with his coaches and with his scouts, and he tries to align what the coaches want, the type of players that they want, maybe even specific players that they want along with the scouting department to go and find guys like that. And maybe the fault that we were giving Brett Veach is in some ways based on I did things that Bob Sutton asked me to do. And I'm not just trying to shovel shit on Bob Sutton, but like it's Brett Veach's responsibility to work in harmony with the people around him. And we heard about the conversations that happened in the offseason between Steve Spagnolo and Brett Veach about... Who do you want me to get? What are what are the things that you need? And they highlighted very specifically Tyron Matthew during those conversations. And he's like, all right, done. I'm just going to go make that happen. You know, I mean, at one point they're focused on trying to get a guy in Earl Thomas to join the team too. Um, and, and fortunately, you know, for the Chiefs, it looks like, not that Earl Thomas had a bad season, but like, we did it without him. Yeah. And... It wasn't our safety getting stiff arm down the field for right. for twenty yards. It's because Dirty Dan's on the field. You know, Dirty Dan better than Earl Thomas. <laughs> you heard it. Here <laughs> it first, has been folks. proven. You heard it here first. Um, Dirty Dan was laying the lumber in that game. He, a couple of huge hits on Derrick Henry. Yeah, that he, one where he uh, just chopped him down by the thigh mm-hmm. was big. You know, I just let's talk about Dan Sorensen for a minute. Oh, so, little, you were a little shy on last week. So here's the thing. I was listening to the editor-in-chief of Arrowhead Pride this week. He was talking to, uh, I'm guessing it was probably Carrington Harrison. So Sween is on with Carrington, and they're talking about Dirty Dan. And he said, you know, one of the things that I feel like is a great anecdote about what Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and Steve Spagnola brought to this defense, the kind of edge and the mentality. He says, Daniel Sorensen has always been kind of a vanilla guy. I'm like, uh, oh, Pete. Vanilla for a white guy? That's, <laughs> you got to be careful there, Pete. But he then talked about, and I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with Pete here. But, <laughs> like, I'm just messing with him. Um, but, but then he talked about how after the play that Daniel Sorensen made against Houston on the fake punt, Sorensen does his job and then he gets up and he's pointing to his head. Uh-huh. He's doing this honey badger celebration. Did it again this week. And they did get this on a busted and, screen. And Pete's like, you know, look at this. Like, this is a guy that would, like, is always like, come to work, do your job, go home. Right? Not, not a big rah-rah guy, not a big celebration type of guy. And now he's emulating Tyron Matthews. <laughs> and, like, I mean, he's right. It's a great point by Pete because there are people that, like, look, 
they always talk about maybe taking on the mentality of your leadership, right? Attitude reflect leadership, Captain. Mm. And I'm so I'm looking at this and it's just like, whether it is someone like Frank Clark, and think about, like seriously, we're going to talk about this so many times today, I guarantee it. Think back to the Frank Clark interview after the game. <laughs> I'm telling you, Frank Clark standing there with James Palmer. Should we just have says, him playing on back, in the background of us? He's like, <laughs> just on loop? He's like, I told him when I got here that it ain't going to be like that no more. You know, and like, and, and he puts his foot down and he puts his heart and his body on the line, his health on the line. Yep. The stories about how bad the flight to Foxborough was. And how Chris Jones is ready to play defensive end all night. There's just no way that Frank Clark is playing. And then he goes out and does what he does and has his flu game. And all, and, but, like, people watch this stuff firsthand all season. They watch Frank Clark killing himself. And as soon as that dude starts to get even 65 70% healthy, it's just like, bang, one of the best eight-game stretches a defensive end has ever had. I mean, it's... It, it takes all of these different little storylines that have happened throughout the season, and we still haven't even talked about Patrick Mahomes dislocating his fucking kneecap. Mm. But, like, all of the battles that this team has gone through the, throughout the season, it has built so much character. I will be very surprised. One of the things that I was worried about with Steve Spagnuolo was when the talent is there and it's healthy and everything's clicking, he can be as good as anybody. But here, there are some major strikes and gutters in his career. Yeah. Going from a top five defense to a bottom five defense just from year to year. And I don't think that with guys like Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark that you're going to see those peaks and valleys. I just, I just don't. There is too much attitude. There is too much like commitment to excellence on that side of the ball that I, I, I don't think and that's, they're going to slow down. That's something we talked about like before the season. Like You and I, we discussed what we wanted to see from those guys was a change in mentality on the defense. And that's kind of why we were critical of them throughout the first seven weeks, perhaps unfairly, but the results weren't there yet. And so it, was, it may have been unfair to expect it that soon, but like we were, we thought we were seeing the same kind of defense, and it just I think it just took about half a season for it to really take shape, and we saw a, a definitive change in the personality of the defense, and I think it, it just it begins and ends with those two, and maybe you, maybe you drag that out to Spagnola too, but I think those two are just it's those are the ones responsible for that change in, in attitude, and I mean it's funny because a guy like Frank Clark. I feel like if you have more than even maybe two Frank Clarks on your football team, it's going to start to get hard. Because that he's, he's a tough guy. Probably a tough dude to be around. I mean, think about the clip that we abrasive. saw on the sideline that everyone really enjoyed of him just being like, you know, they can't do anything. They thought they were going to come in here and we've shut them down. And he's, you know, throwing expletives and stuff. And then he just walks off. And Mike Pinnell says... Yo, what he said. <laughs> because, like, people can't, they can't replicate the kind of attitude and just the way that Frank uh-huh. Clark just, like, runs that mouth. Yep. I mean... And I, and I loved what he said last week. I loved it. Uh, I'm not typically, I'm a guy that gets mad at people for, like, bulletin board stuff. Like, I do think that actually inspires the team a little bit. Um, and I didn't care. Because I thought, 
I thought what he was doing was taking responsibility off of his teammate's shoulders and putting it on his. Like, follow me, guys. Like, we are going to stop them. I am confident, and I am going to say it. And I'm going to say it because if we don't, they're going to come for me. Not for any of you. Not these other players on the defense. They are going to come for Frank Clark if we don't, if we don't start Derek carrying. And it just showed the confidence that he had in his team and his teammates and, and everything. Like, we are going to do this, and I'm not afraid to say it. And then they did well, and honestly, you know, as you were describing that, who does that remind you of? It's Andy Reid. It's Andy Reid time and time and time and time again, taking all of the credit for any mistake that happens. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, all that stuff is in hindsight. It's not necessarily, I mean, it's still planned out. Yeah, not, but not, it's not saying that pregame. We're going to put up 50 out. points. <laughs> right. We're scoring a touchdown on every play. He's not doing that the way that Frank Clark is kind of calling his shot. But, again, it's 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 a matter of leadership. And, and there are a lot of questions about Frank Clark before he came here. Like, why would a team like Seattle be willing to part ways with him in the first place? And, you know, the guy had punched teammates in Seattle and had some questionable things happen while he was in college. And I can see that. There's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of question marks about Frank Clark and how he comes in here. And the Chiefs took a pretty calculated risk and then ultimately paid him a tremendous amount of money. I mean, and that is a, like, that right there, that move is very Brett Beach. Yeah. And just think, I mean, just, I don't want to shit on D Ford here. Uh, we'll get to that later. But um, just think of the difference in, in attitude between him and D Ford. Like, D Ford, I mean, statistically, pretty much the same players mm-hmm. across the board, right? I mean, D Ford gets hurt a little bit more and whatnot. But on the field, around their teammates, like, just think of the attitude difference between those two. Like, it's it's night and day. And that's that's just kind of, it's the difference between the 2018 Chiefs and the 2019 Chiefs. Like, that that switch right there. Can I, can I just... Take this a little too far for a minute. Sure. This is a very, very amateur hour take. D Ford. A lot of interests. Guy plays the piano. <laughs> likes art. He's kind of a worldly dude. Yeah. Quiet, soft-spoken, incredibly talented, but certainly not abrasive. I mean, for many Chiefs fans, the lasting memories of D Ford are running the wrong way, and then not only having the moment of being offsides, but that heartbreaking clip of him on the sidelines saying, they said I was offsides. Was I? He genuinely doesn't know. And, like, I'm not, I mean, listen, I'm kind of a softie anyways, but, like, my heart breaks for him. Mine too. Looking Mine at too. That. I, even, even immediately after, I was just like, I was never really mad at, at D Ford. And I was, I was saving this for the Super Bowl stuff, but I mean, while we're here, it's it's going to be a weird night. I mean, if D4 makes a couple big plays, say like the big play or something, <coughs> like what a weird career, like kind of cost the Chiefs a Super Bowl with lining up offsides the year before, and then the next week plays them in the Super Bowl, or the next year plays them in the Super Bowl, and say he comes up with two sacks or something, and say he strips Mahomes in the fourth quarter, like what a weird weird way to remember a player like in a city like yeah. like once on your team once against you and it's just it, it would it'd be a weird combination and I don't I don't think there's much ill will from Chiefs fans toward D4 but I could see it spilling over towards that because of what might happen in this game like yeah I'm not I mean I'm just, I'm writing off a very very talented guy 
and my narrative is Mick Schwartz and Eric Fisher. If anybody knows how to defend D Ford, it's these two. At the same time, you could look at it from D Ford's perspective and be like, if anybody knows what their weaknesses are, it's D Ford. Oh yeah. If anybody has practiced against them all these you know hours and hours and hours and and might have a thing or two up his sleeve, it's it's D four. And really, right? I mean, D Ford's benefiting from playing with so much talent on that defensive line. I okay. mean. It's, I don't think he's going to be a one-man wrecking crew, but he's going to be part of what could be a four-man wrecking crew, mm-hmm. um, which will be the biggest obstacle in this game. Well, before before we move away from this, I want to actually take take my... my oh, you didn't take it there. You didn't take it there. So, all of these things about D Ford. I feel like D Ford is just a great fit in the city of San Francisco. And now his replacement, Frank Clark... This shit talkingest dude in the NFL that comes to a city that still has a little bit of an inferiority complex. We're willing to fight with anyone and everyone who has something bad to say about us. We take everything very, very personally. And you see how Frank Clark acts. I'm not saying that Kansas City's that brash, but like just the change in D Ford going to San Francisco and then being replaced with a guy like Frank Clark. It actually, like, feels kind of perfect. Frank Clark is way more Kansas City than D. Ford is. Um, I mean, but I don't know. Maybe people would say that Kansas City's very meek and mild like D. Ford. Yeah. So he's, he'd be a good fit there, too. Yeah. But for my purposes, yeah. <laughs> Frank Clark and the blue-collar Kansas City he's definitely He's definitely blue-collar. You know? He's definitely blue. But a little, a little more brash than, than the city of Kansas City, I would Yeah, say. He's, he's probably perfect for, like, Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> <In fairness. laughs> what are you saying? Um, you want to talk some Patrick Mahomes? Uh, yeah, of talk course. talk some Patrick Mahomes? Anytime. Uh, he's almost kind of playing perfect in the playoffs. Which I is, saw the which is fun. The first three playoff game stats. First, first four. First four. Okay. Yes, which I have right here. Which is which is fun. So it's which all- is fun. <laughs> hey, football, friendship, and and some fun. So this is all time quarterbacks in their first four playoff games. So Patty Mahomes, eleven touchdowns, zero interceptions. He also has two rushing touchdowns. Don't don't forget those. Other other great quarterbacks. First four playoff games. Tom Brady. Two touchdowns, one interception. I don't that seems impossible. John Elway, four touchdowns, six interceptions. Brett Favre, five touchdowns, four interceptions. Peyton Manning, five touchdowns, three interceptions. And Joe Montana, who's who's the clutch one of the group? I mean, I guess Brady's on there too. Joe Montana, seven touchdowns, five interceptions. I know the game is different. I know statistics are are radically different these days. But still, what Patty Mahomes is doing at this young of an age, it's it's just unheard of. It's it's unbelievable. And and we just keep checking off boxes with Patrick Mahomes. Like he comes in with all the stats. He blows he blows he gets the MVP. He blows everybody away with these stats. Okay. He's good at the end of games. He's good on, on, on fourth quarter drives. When the team is losing, I did the, I did the statistical breakdown, the deep dive earlier this year when Mahomes is losing. His stats are out of control good. What's left for him to do? How about do it on the biggest stage? Do it in the playoff games. How about 19 meaningful drives this this postseason? He's had 12 touchdowns, one field goal, and four third down drops. The other two, Tyreek getting smashed when he was about to catch that pass, not considered a drop. This, this is all courtesy of uh, Seth Kaiser, a good little breakdown, by the way. 
Uh, so they had the Tyreek one, and then you had the Chiefs punting with 2 minutes and 15 seconds left, up 11 versus Tennessee. That's the other drive that didn't end in a score or a brutal drop from a Chiefs receiver. He's, he's playing perfect football. They cannot stop him. It's unbelievable what he is doing. And it's so strange to hear those stats because, like, the guys that you're naming off are... Every one of them's a Hall of Famer, I think. Um, and yes, confirmed. <laughs> well, not yet. Pey- Peyton's not yet. I mean, Tom's not yet. They might get in. But they might get in. Got a good shot, I think. Um, but you're talking about guys, and I know that that's like early in their careers. And for some of these guys, I mean, John Elway wins the Super Bowl the last two seasons that he was in the NFL of a 15 mm-hmm. year career or something, right? But it's not like just because maybe the game was different that these guys just somehow couldn't throw the football. It's not like they were incapable or that they weren't yeah, The rules are the same. Like, <laughs> like they, the forward well, pass mostly. definitely existed. And these guys are thought about as, like, many of the great throwers or game managers or winners or all of those things. And they pale in comparison to the way that Patrick Mahomes is performing. It's just... You think of like an NBA point. Um, I don't you, think of an NBA point. Well, <laughs> but, well, but we have to. Bring it to the well, team. but like you have to pay your dues. You know, everybody yeah. looks at like Jordan. You have to like work your way through. Um, you know the Pistons, and it, and it kind of stems from that. But there's there's a kind of you have to get there and get the experience before you can actually do it. Like it's very hard for like young teams in the NBA to actually do it. Like you need that championship experience, and you kind of work your way up through it. Mm-hmm. Patty Mahomes isn't really doing that. I mean, I guess you could say last year he, he did it through New England, but it's not like it was his fault. Um, I, I'm, maybe, I guess. Um, but he's not, he's not faltering at all. Like, he has no, he, no dip in play from, like, this unbelievable regular season player, and it seems like he even gets better in the playoffs. Like, it's just, it's just unheard of, and there's no young quarterback growing pains among us. There's no sign of nerves other than, you know, the first drive or two of every, of every big game where Mahomes kind of comes out a little little too amped up, it seems like. That's like the only, only potential weakness in Patrick Mahomes. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how that how that unfolds on Sunday in the biggest game of his career. But for him to be doing this in the playoffs, the way he's playing, especially this year, is just, it's incredible. Yeah, I think we saw a stat during the broadcast of the Titans game about, like, point differential in the first quarter. And, I mean, the Chiefs was not great. And the Titans was, like, okay. I mean, maybe it was good league-wide, but, I mean, I think we were talking about a difference in maybe 50 points scored or something. Um, And to see that the Chiefs have all of these very slow starts and then, you know, four touchdown second quarters... um, I do think that it's going to be important for them to maybe have the first 15 really click, but I also don't believe that at all because it hasn't the last two games, yeah. and it hasn't mattered. I love hearing analysts like, well, the Chiefs can't get off to the slow start this week. Well, they are saying the exact same thing last week before the Titans, and then we right. did it, and then we came back with, with relative ease. I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm filled with a tremendous amount of confidence um, just because of the, the, all the things that they've overcome and the way that they're playing now. I mean, what, what more can you ask of a football team? Like, or of a football wait, player. I mean, think about it this way. Like, if you are a San Francisco 49ers fan 
and you look at the sheer numbers of when Garoppolo throws the ball 25 times or more. I mean, I saw this week that his QBR when he's thrown over 25 passes is like in the high 60s. And I don't even know if that's good. QBR is a weird stat. And it doesn't seem like when you see like passer rating going up to 158.3, QBR, those numbers don't go that high. I don't know either, but I will say Patrick Mahomes' QBR in the last game was a 97.5. Okay. So that's that, I think that one's good. I think it's on a scale of 100. It's out of 100, yes. So when Garoppolo throws the ball 25 times or more, it's like in the low 50s. And when he throws it 25 times or less, it shoots up to the high 60s. There's this huge gap in play for him the fewer times he throws the ball. It's the conversation that we had in Kansas City for years about Alex Smith. We want Alex Smith to throw the ball between 20 and 30 times a game because once he gets into those 35, 40, 45 attempts, that's just not this team at its best. I mean, at that time, we're thinking... That means they're not incorporating Jamal Charles enough, you know, and they're Andy's getting pass happy. And now we've got, you know, half the people that cover the Chiefs in the city are like, they're running the ball too much with the, you know, 15 handoffs in a game or something. And so, like, it's, it's a testament to how good Mahomes is and clearly, like, the, just the sheer construction of the offense. But if you don't have Mahomes there as the linchpin, to be able to constantly keep them rolling, I don't think that you would have the same arguments. And so when I when I look at Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco, if I'm a fan of that team, I'm worried that the game can turn into Patrick Mahomes versus Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't want that. And I feel like it doesn't matter what style of football game happens, the Chiefs have the ability to win, and San Francisco has to play their game in order to win. And that sounds a lot like the Chiefs of old. If we don't play a pretty specific style of game, then we're not going to be able to beat some of these upper echelon teams. And this was kind of like the the big point when we were talking football this week when I was on with Josh Briscoe of like, I feel like the, the difference for the team this year is that they figured out how to play complementary football. They can beat you a lot of different ways. And we haven't been able to say that in years past. And so not having to have a very specific formula that has to work out perfectly in order for you to go and you know win a Super Bowl and get everything right, that has given me so much confidence about this team's ability to just go out and win. Yep. Because it's like I don't think that there's... Like how many stories could, could be told of the way the Chiefs won the Super Bowl? If you're thinking about the different storylines, you know... You can talk about overcoming injuries. You can talk about how great Patrick Mahomes has been. You can talk about his weapons and the plays that they make. You can flip over to the defense and talk about all the different things. Every single one of these storylines plays a factor and gives the team the ability to win. It's amazing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It really is. Speaking of amazing. Well, hang on. What are you getting to? I got, I got one more point on Mahomes. I'm, I'm not getting to anything. I'm getting to your point on Patrick Mahomes. Well, one last thing Speaking I'm... of amazing, <laughs> his darkness. How about that next Mahomes point? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect lead-in. What a segue. Um, I just want to say, if, if Mahomes is able to win a Super Bowl in year two, 
it's he's just going to be playing with house money for the next 15 years. Like, and this is one thing I just look at with Tom Brady. Like, Brady is able, it's, he's able to be so clutch because he won so early and often. So therefore, there's no real pressure on him for the rest of his career. Like, Brady's kind of playing with house money from there on out because he has nothing left to prove. It just, it kind of snowballs that confidence. Like, if you change a few plays early on in Brady's career, you know, most notably the uh, the fumble, the, the tuck rule. Tuck rule, there we go. Change a few plays with him and then change a few plays with Peyton Manning. You know, maybe Vanderjack makes that field goal or they uh, they don't tackle the uh, the Steelers tackle the Colt. And so say he gets the Super Bowl early in, his, early in his career, I think you might see two wildly different careers just because of the way pressure works and because Peyton it just became it just came harder each and every year that he wasn't able to win one. So if Mahomes is just able to win one this early and just get you know I wouldn't say there's a monkey on his back or anything, but like get that there's there won't ever be a monkey in sight. Won't even get close to his back. Uh, it's it will just open up his entire career to play you know pressure free and just and just start banging them home. Just just start banging titles and MVPs home. It's just going to be an onslaught. Of Patrick Mahomes, if if he's able to do that, I think because if he's not, I mean he's just the top dog. So there's always just going to be like, well, until you win a Super Bowl, what have you done? And it gets harder each and every year. So if he gets that knocked off right away, house money for the next 15 years from Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if you look at a guy that has had maybe a similar story, I guess um, I don't think that anyone would confuse the level of talent between these two players. But just going along that line of suddenly kind of the pressure is off of you for the rest of your career, I mean, it reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger because that guy wins a title in year two and had this just amazing record as a starter through his first couple seasons. And he's won two Super Bowl titles, you know, and two different head coaches during those periods. And Ben... Starts out as a complimentary piece that throws twenty passes in a game. Same as Brady. Same as Brady. Fifty something. So it's not game, on so. them, but like they just get that winning in them, and it it just becomes easier. And I think that's something that's overlooked. I think people just think players are either clutch or they're not. Peyton was a super clutch quarterback. I mean, in like regular season games, nobody was better when on like a two minute drive at the end of games. But because he had that early career. Uh, you know, misfortune in the playoffs, or he didn't come through in the biggest moments. It just starts. It snowballs. It snowballs. It snowballs. And you know, look no further than Dan Marino, who might have the most similar career to, to Patrick Mahomes through two years. And it's just kind of I, I, people use it kind of like a fear tactic, like oh, we better win this year because look at Marino. I don't think it's that at all. But you can see how a career can just kind of get away from you, and then it's it becomes a thing. And I don't really know how Marino performed in playoff games, and I don't know if. I would say like he, you know, felt the pressure in those, but it couldn't help. I mean, say he wins that first Super Bowl in his second year when they go there. Who knows? Maybe he wins multiple Super Bowls in his career because things are just different. Uh, so it's just it's big from that regard, and I think it's just if he if he gets that knocked off, I think that's that's monstrous. You know, on on Mahomes, I feel like as I think about the Super Bowl, something that we don't often do on Amateur Hour is necessarily like preview an upcoming game. We might talk about an opponent a little bit at the end of the show, but, I mean, it's the Super Bowl, right? When in Miami, you preview. So, 
I kind of, I thought that like maybe I need to just come up with like a couple things, uh, one for the offense, one for the defense, and I just want to know, Dirk, like what are, what are you thinking about? And my point for the offense, what I'm thinking about is Patrick Mahomes, but more importantly, that makes sense. How do you protect Patrick Mahomes against a San Francisco defense that, listen, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm pretty sure they led the league in sacks. And I did see something floating around on Twitter that, like, the team that has 55 sacks or more entering the Super Bowl is, like, 6 Like 6 or 7 now, yeah. Um, but I think that over the sample, like, the one of the replies on it was like, yeah, but in the time period that you're using, you've got, like, 8 or 9 teams that won it without having 55 or more. So, you know. Well, yeah. But I think what the stat goes to show, and it's just, it's the exact type of team that would give an offensive juggernaut, ju- juggernaut trouble. Like you yeah. just think of, we obviously all think about that Giants-Patriots game immediately. Uh, but, you know, also Steelers teams, Ravens teams, Jets teams under Rex Ryan. Like these are the types of teams that can give a team like the Chiefs an offensive juggernaut problems. This is like the one way to defeat all-time offenses and it's to be able to get pressure with your front four so then you have seven players dropping back and you're just able to cover a a, a lot of the receivers and get to the quarterback in a hurry without bringing an extra guy. Like that is the recipe to beat an all-time offense and the 49ers are pretty much the, the top team in the NFL that would be able to do that. Well, and it sounds like from what I've heard and what I've read... That the formula for San Francisco is that you rush your front four because you have like five different first round picks on your on your defensive line, um, and then you get to play a lot of zone. Now Mahomes versus Ban uh, rather than zone. I mean his numbers are good either way, right? Um, I I think that the team as a whole, the offense, probably does a little bit better against man coverage. Because if guys are running and trying to chase the talent that you have on offense, uh, that means they have their back to Mahomes fairly often. Um, That's given him the ability to get out in space, make plays, and ultimately over the last couple games really show what he can do with his legs, not just behind the line of scrimmage. But at the same time, think about like some of the teams that gave San Francisco fits this year. Kyler Murray was really Arizona. hard for them to play against both times. And, like, that's a rookie that's not processing anywhere near the level that Patrick Mahomes is, but just because he can move around, it kind of gave them fits. And a, and a stat for you, the 49ers are actually 30th in opposing quarterback rushing yards. So they have allowed the third most rushing yards. Now, with that, they play Russell Wilson twice a year. They played Kyler Murray twice a year. So they've, they're they facing Jared Goff. Jared Goff. I mean... <laughs> Um, so, you know, there's, there's a reason behind it, but it's still, it's kind of weird because, uh, I was, I was, this was reading this with sharp football and it was like, usually when you see a team that gives up a lot of rushing yards to the quarterback, it's because they're in man coverage or they blitz a lot. So the quarterback breaks free and then is able to, you know, get a long game, but that's not San Francisco. They play a zone and they, they don't blitz that much because they can just get pressure with the front four. And he was, he was kind of saying a lot of it was quarterback designed runs, uh, and, and more specifically from Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and a few other 
mobile quarterbacks they faced along the way. But so you uh, that is like one of the read type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And that's it's that was weirdly how the Chiefs came out with the first two plays against the Titans. They ran zone read on both of them, and it didn't do anything. Yeah, both people of them, were a little they frustrated. Gained, They're like, can, can we stop yeah, that? Yeah, I think now? they gained zero yards on the first two plays, and then pretty much went away from it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they go back to that um, or, or what happens there. But yeah, one yeah, of the few weaknesses on the 49ers defense opposing rushing yards to the quarterback, which Tennessee has been ready for that, which has been Mahomes's you know go to this postseason. I think what is he like 120 rushing yards or something this postseason? Like it's been it's been a weapon for him. I going back to the question of how you protect Patrick Mahomes against this team. I mean. The reason that they're able to rush four and drop seven is because they've got a tremendous amount of talent up front. And the thing that I think probably should make Chiefs fans maybe like have at least a little bit of a pause um, in terms of maybe their confidence about the offense just being able to relentlessly score is that it's not just that you have you know these bodies that you can rotate through and that the guys are talented. All four of them, like particularly at defensive tackle, they're all really athletic, and like I, I don't think that Mahomes would have as easy a time maybe getting away from some of these guys. I mean, even like Buckner and Armstead, I think they're both listed like above six five. They're built like Chris Jones or like Calais Campbell, like monsters. But but they move really well, and so I think that even when Mahomes is kind of running around behind the line of scrimmage and trying to get away from guys, create extra time, do some of that freelance or, like, backyard football. Um, I, I think that the San Francisco 49ers defense is, like, pretty well equipped for that. I mean, I think that what we've seen with Patrick Mahomes, and especially, uh, you know, if you think about maybe, like, the ultimate team that has been able to really slow him down for extended periods of time... I mean, it's, it's the Patriots. It's, you know, essentially not scoring it in the entire first half of an AFC Championship game, but yep. then going out and pouring on 30. And because, and God, what a bizarre stat it was, seeing that apparently the Chiefs have given up fewer points than San Francisco, this defensive-minded team, just, and San Francisco has scored more points than the Chiefs. just this, blew me away. This I'm just staring at it like, this can't be correct. It cannot be right. It's it's weird because the narratives about the teams are complete yeah. opposites of that, yeah. and yet you have this. Yeah, say it again. If you, like, if you didn't hear that, it's it's the 49ers have scored more points than the Chiefs this year, and the Chiefs have allowed fewer points than the 49ers, even though the, the team's reputations are the complete opposite. And I think both of these, it's like within it's close. 10 or it's 15 points. Yeah. You know, you're talking like maybe a couple touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, honestly, what it tells me is that the teams are really evenly matched. Yep. and. No matter how you talk about them, it's still like they're they're really close in the things that they do. Um, I guess I just if either team gets in a hole, there's one that can get out of it, and there's one that I'm not confident they can. And the one that can get out of the hole is the one that we cheer for. You know what else is actually really fortunate? I was going to say the red team, but both teams are are <laughs> the red, red and gold team. There's red and gold, and there's red and yellow. Um, but I mean, listen. As a superstitious Chiefs fan, it's kind of a pain in the ass to say, I'm not going to wear colors of the opposing team all week long, especially when I'm playing a team that's like Navy or or 
black, black. <laughs> like like some of these things that like I have to White. wear this to work or like every pair of pants I own. And I, I have oh, that's to, easy. No pants. I have no to pants. start getting creative. And I'm like, you know what? Both teams are red. I've got wardrobe freedom this week. <laughs> Can't wait. Gonna wear whatever I want. Well, you're rocking the yellow right now. It's, it's looking pretty good. Oh, we should also that's say... A, that's a Christmas present, that yellow Chief shirt. should also say yellow end zones. In honor of the end zones. The, the end undefeated zones. yellow end zones. Woo! I love that. We're coming out in all yellows. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> I, I mean, we... The royal we here no, might come out in all yellow. There's no, we're not doing all reds, are we? Did we already no, announce? They have, they're wearing red, red and white. white. Okay. Or the Chiefs are wearing red and the white. red and white, and then San Francisco is wearing white the and white gold. and gold. Yep. Yeah. They wanted to wear some throwbacks, and the NFL wouldn't let them or something. It's kind of weird. Uh, I think it's the one that has like the black shaded shell. Yeah, on it's the really numbers. similar, but it was just kind of yeah. weird to see. Okay, so are you are you were you finished with your question there? Um, I mean. In general, I didn't answer it, I guess. Um, I don't well, where are you worried about the 49ers front four? What, what, what scares you the most? I guess what I mean. What worries me is that the interior of the Chiefs' offensive line has been a little sketchy at times this year. But And the offensive line has been dominant the last two weeks, but it's also two of the uh, lower-rated pass rushes in the NFL, now going to the number one pass rush in the NFL. Yeah, and I mean, look, like... But the, I mean, the offensive line has been... Dominant this playoffs, like they've been very good. The way that they were able to to shut down any sort of pressure from Houston was really impressive. I mean, it was there was never a moment, not even early in the game, when Houston was up and you would think like now they can really pin their ears back and get after you. There was never a moment where it was like, wow, Mahomes is under duress. I mean, JJ Watt made like one play in that game after looking really great the week before against Buffalo and. Merciless is fantastic. And, like, they just didn't have any kind of impact on the outcome of the game. Now, with Tennessee, uh, their best pass rusher is Harold Landry, a second-year player that, like... Or Jarrell Casey, maybe. I mean, and, and Jarrell Casey's an interior guy that, you know, if that isn't on the level of players like Aaron Donald or Chris Jones, so he's not, like, truly a pass rusher. Whereas with San Francisco, like... It's not just Bolson and Ford. I mean, it, with with Armstead and Buckner, and ultimately they, they still have Solomon Thomas, don't they? Right? Yeah, I think he's I mean, hanging I don't know around. If he does a whole lot, but they took him over Patrick Mahomes. I know that. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, um, I I think that I feel still pretty confident about the Chiefs' ability to to put up points in the end. Um, I don't. I don't know. Like, is is there like a singular way to think about like if San Francisco does this defensively, then it then it's going to help them win the game? Because like, even if you get sacks on Mahomes, it's probably got to be turnovers. I mean, is, is well, is, I think it's just pressuring them all day, um, and just you know taking away deep looks because of that pressure and just harassing them all day kind of thing. I think it's it's a collection, um, and it's and it the interior is interesting because that is taking my point from earlier about the way to beat juggernaut offenses, the way to beat, like, I think it was Tom Brady. It's might have been even a Peyton thing, but interior pressure. Don't let them step up in that pocket. And that became a huge thing against Tom Brady uh, and people breaking that down. Like, if you were able to get pressure up the middle, that's ultimately how you stopped 
him from from succeeding. Well, and the difference is that with guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, like they operate best inside the pocket, yeah. and that doesn't mean manipulate the pocket. Whereas Mahomes yeah. look kind of looking to get escape the pocket. And and I don't know like Mahomes in the pocket versus out of the pocket, which he's better at. But let's just say he's people always argue at, about he's good at all. Of yeah, them. <laughs> people always so. argue about it, but I don't think there's any bad styles out there. So yeah, I, I think that that he's good either way. I mean. The thing that people sometimes say is that he's like a cheat code. But it really does feel that way. I think if you're a defensive coordinator preparing this team, like there's no way to really build confidence. Even even among a group of guys like San Francisco's defense that are probably really confident, led by, you know, their version of Frank Clark and Richard Sherman. You know, a guy that has no fear in running his mouth and has done it very publicly his entire career. And betted on himself so much that he didn't even have an agent. And then after he started getting his bonuses for the performance enhancers that he put in there, went out and talked shit to anyone on Twitter. Well, like, but that did not stop Chiefs legend Darrell Revis <laughs> from firing shots at Richard Sherman. Thank you, Darrell Revis. He's always had our back. A true member of the Red and Yellow team. There you go. There you go. <laughs> okay, um, so a uh, question I'm thinking about, I guess, with the Chiefs offense, 49ers defense... Um, the off-ball linebackers on the 49ers. Uh, and this is just something that I've really come to appreciate because the Chiefs don't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the a linebacker with the ability to kind of cover players, like turn and run with you know a slot receiver or a dominant tight end like Travis Kelsey. Uh, and they have two of the best. Fred Warner, who is a super young player, I think a third-round pick. He's He's been a joy to watch just as a fan of football. He can really cover ground. So it'd be interesting to see how he... Uh, handles Travis Kelsey among amongst others in the middle of the field. I, I think that it, it was maybe when they played the Saints. I was watching Demorio Davis for the Saints and then Fred Warner for the 49ers, and both of them I was just like, man, I am all in on these guys. That was a really fun like national TV oh, yeah. game to be able to watch and see players that I, I haven't really watched most of the season, and I was really impressed with Fred Warner. Fred Warner's good. Uh, so then you got another guy on San Francisco. Uh, and I got I got some a good little stat here. Quan Alexander, uh, who missed a like a lot of the second half of the season. Um, how about 49ers defense before Quan Alexander gets hurt? I think it's in the first Cardinals game, so it's like the first seven or eight games of the season. 49ers were averaging averaging 11 points per game allowed in those games. Since Quan Alexander got injured, up to 29.1 points per game. So from 11 to 29. Now, Quan Alexander has come back for the two playoff games, and the 49ers are back down to allow, allowing 15 points per game. And that's against playoff teams. So, yeah. you know. Um, to be fair, the schedule is very lopsided in these splits. I was wondering if it was similar to like the way that New England started the season versus the way that they ended it. It is. So in the second half of the season, you get Seattle twice. You got the Saints, Falcons, Rams, Packers. So I get that. But still, the stat, it's, it's, it's kind of like the 49ers through the first eight weeks. I mean, they were being compared to the Patriots' defense, which is like kind of an all-time defense. Um, and then through the second half of the year, they kind of got beaten up a little bit. Now, that is pretty alarming difference going from giving up 11 points per game over what is essentially like a half-season sample. And, yeah, so he and got hurt in the eighth game. Yeah. Eighth so, I mean, game of the season. That's... Uh, that's a huge change. It's more than double. I mean, if you're only giving up 11 and then it's 17 more than that 
over a stretch of another eight games, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think Quan Alexander maybe played a little bit in Week 17. Like, No, I think he's oh. just back for the playoffs. Just okay. back for the playoffs. And yeah. he, but he's only played 54% of the snaps in the first game. And then 32% of the snaps against the uh, Packers last week. They didn't really need A lot of that was probably they took him off the field because it was, you know, just start resting him. Uh, so it doesn't seem like he's back full swing, but still uh, a player that's just kind of probably super important to them. I'm sure 49ers fans are talking about him a lot. Like, when Quan Alexander's on the field, this defense feels different. Well, and I wonder, so like, one of the things that the Chiefs were, I would imagine, aiming to prevent from happening against Tennessee... You mentioned, like, not letting the play-action game get going. And there are a few chunk plays that Tennessee put together, primarily to A.J. Brown, primarily between the hash marks, um, that San Francisco has guys that operate in that area of the field really well. Um, And now, we don't need to talk about, like, the Chiefs defending that just yet, but you have to imagine that from San Francisco's perspective... The Chiefs have a lot of guys that can attack that area of the field as well. The main culprit being, obviously, Travis Kelsey. And if, instead of guys like Damian Wilson or Reggie Ragland or, you know, Anthony Hitchens kind of paroling that area of the field for the Chiefs defense, they have Quan Alexander and Fred Warner. And so that would give them, I think a little bit of confidence in their ability as they play zone to shut down some of those areas. Fortunately for the Chiefs, especially if you want to look back at the Houston tape, they play a lot of zone. And what does Travis Kelsey do? Find the soft spot in the zone, use his BFF power with Patrick Mahomes, and has him and Tyreek two of the most uniquely gifted athletes and in respect to their ability to not just find the space but then create some more, Travis Kelsey with the head fakes and the turning the opposite direction from the way the defender is going to give himself extra yardage often. You know, Tyreek Hill being able to do these weird jumping backward cuts and then accelerating zero to a hundred and a half a second. I mean, I think that this is where you get those quotes because it wasn't just Frank Clark that was talking in the media before the AFC Championship. We maybe forgot about it because after the game, Frank continued to run his mouth and give you the greatest 45-second post-game in the history of the NFL. But Tyreek also, before that game, comes out and says, I don't think anyone in the NFL can cover us. If you want to play man, we're going to run right past you. If you want to play zone, we're and still going to beat that. And zone's even easier. It's like, does it matter? And so, I mean, I, I love where we're at. <laughs> you, you brought up Warner and Alexander, and I'm imagining it's specifically because of what I was talking about in terms of their ability to kind of patrol the middle of the field. Yep. Um, I don't know what the best... Like, like actual strategic counter to it is, other than just relying on your best players to make plays. Yeah, I mean, nothing to be scared of, I don't think. It's just going to be tougher. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, they're just two really good linebackers that, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see the kind of attention they give Kelsey, or it'll be interesting to see how much they can affect the Chiefs passing over the middle. I do want to mention, I, I think it's valuable to point out that in the games that Stefan Wisniewski has played primarily, if we're just looking at this two-game sample in the playoffs, how well the offensive line has performed, 
I mean, Andrew Andrew Wiley being inactive for two weeks. I heard someone refer to it as a healthy scratch. I think I heard Andy talking about that because he was just talking about how the offensive line was rolling, so they're just kind of going with it. I don't know why he wouldn't just be healthy on the bench. I don't know who the backup is. Like, I'm guessing it's Cam Irving. Like, they're using him as this active player on game day that can play hard or tackle. But, I mean, I don't know who the primary backup to Wisniewski would be. Um, if if for some reason he went down because Wiley's been inactive, yep. you know. But you're talking about a guy that won. Didn't he like get Rookie of the Year for the Chiefs last year? Technically, isn't that the award they gave him? Who Wiley? Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, so I mean, this is. It looks like Allegretti and Ryan Hunter. Okay, Ryan Hunter, I think, was inactive too. I think so. Allegretti might just be the uh, backup lineman there. Yeah, I Who mean knows? that's it's it, it's it's. Been pretty interesting to see a guy like Wisniewski because he also, like, he did the same thing when the Eagles had their run to the Super Bowl where it was like, man, everybody thought he was great. I I remember hearing media members when the Chiefs signed Wisniewski talking to people from Philadelphia and then kind of looking at articles like when the Eagles got rid of him. And it was like, everyone was super excited because he came in and he played well. And then the next year it was like, it was gone. he was terrible. They like, I think it was very short lived. Yeah. I'm um, not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know why he wasn't on a team. Like he's, he seemed good in the past and he's good now. So I guess, I guess there were some bad games in there apparently, but I think that at the very least Wisniewski is like maybe a little bit above a replacement level player because he's just been good enough, you know? Um, but there's something about putting him there that has helped guys like uh, Austin Ryder and Tardif. Maybe they're everyone's just healthy and clicking. I don't know what it is, but um, I, I do think that the Chiefs are in a pretty good position offensively, led by Patrick Mahomes. Hey, hey. How about the other side of the ball? What are you thinking about? Um, what I'm thinking about with the Chiefs' defense is how do you defend George Kittle? And that's not uh, like from a hopeless position, like, how do you do it? It's more like, Spags has a lot of different things that he can do here. And I think that there's a lot of different ways that he can be effective. We've seen Kittle have the ability to like just be a complete target vacuum. And, you know, Garoppolo throw him the ball 15 to 20 times in a game. And Kittle can completely take over. But... I mean, I think he had one catch in this AFC Championship game because they were just running the ball all over. Only eight attempts, so yeah. (laughs) Um, And and so, like, I guess you could say that he's had diverse impacts on games, maybe just depending on the opponent or the game plan. The thing for me, I mean, my instinct is to say, well, I'm just going to let Badger take care of him. But to be honest, I think that allowing Badger to play all over the field instead of specifically aligning him up with George Kittle, like I think he can have a greater impact than just zeroing out that option in the passing game. I kind of think that Spagnuolo was just going to throw a lot of different things at George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo and hope that they don't really know who's going to be covering him on any given play, hoping to cause some confusion, because Kittle is a fantastic athlete and he's really hard to bring down. But I also think that he, I don't consider George Kittle like so fast or so athletic that guys like Hitchens or Ragland or Wilson can't like play with him in about a ten yard stretch, and and I don't think that you're going to make them anyone cover him for long periods of time. But I think they're going to try to rough him up. I I'm not too confident in those guys covering him. 
uh, maybe within ten yards. But the problem is he goes he'll go downfield too. Right. Um, so I I mean if you're manning up on him, I think it has to be a safety. And then it's Matthews greatly undersized to Sorensen. him. Sorensen still greatly undersized to him, and probably maybe not as fast either. Um, I mean, he's definitely a tough matchup. Uh, I've watched him a lot this year. I had him on the fantasy team, so uh, he's he's a beast. And it's lots of short dump offs too. Lots of short plays to him. Little screens. Uh, they'll run the ball to him too. Uh, he's a fucking weapon, man. And he's he will not go down easily. Uh, great blocker too, as I'm sure Chiefs fans have heard. Right. Um, but yeah, Kittle. He's a problem. Uh, Debo Samuel was another guy. He, he can run after the catch. Uh, I heard someone compare him to uh, Anquan Bolden, which I thought That's was very prudent. And man, that guy, that guy can break some tackles. So yeah. they get the ball and they they make things happen after they get the ball. So I mean, it's it's tackling is a huge thing once again uh, for different reasons this week. I guess I'd say. I guess I mean the running game is still there for San Francisco, but still. Uh, it's tackling in the secondary as opposed to bringing down like a 260-pound running back this week will be a, a big thing. Um, well, and you, you know you mentioned all these different guys, and one of the guys that's playing safety that has probably played the most man coverage of any of those players outside of Tyron Matthew, it's probably Kendall Fuller. And I don't think that Kendall Fuller is a great matchup with George Kittle I certainly don't think that Armani Watts is like the secret weapon in this in this formula. <laughs> Jordan Lucas? Um, I don't think Jordan Lucas is practicing right now. Um, I think that the Chiefs are just going to find themselves in a position that there's not going to be like think, uh, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. Like I I don't think that it has to be. There's one way that we defend George Kittle, and if that doesn't work, then we're screwed. And he's going to get his. I mean, it's it's not. We're not going to shut down George Kittle. He's going to have more than one catch in this game. I'll, I'll promise you that. Yeah, and and I mean, a guy that you don't mention in there because you brought up Debo and the running game, Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders, one of the better run route runners. Also, a guy who signed with Kansas City at one point, or verbally agreed to sign with Kansas City, mm-hmm. uh, and and shunned them. People have assumed that maybe you're going to get like some some questions about that from him on Radio Row this week. Uh, that you might get an Emmanuel Sanders anecdote about why he chose Denver, and ultimately he's probably just going to gloat because, like, hey, I, you know, I won a Super Bowl yeah. and whatever. <laughs> Pete um, Manning is on that team, <laughs> right? Um, but I mean, this is a guy that has played against the Chiefs a lot. I don't. He's really good. He's been really up and down this year. He's had a couple of huge games. Uh, has not been ultimately effective the last month or so, uh, but again, San Francisco's not throwing the ball at all, so all their receiving stats are, are down at this point. And I don't necessarily give him a lot of credit for, like, this guy has torched the Chiefs or anything. Um, in general, though, Emmanuel Sanders has been a good player for a long time that has played against Andy Reid's Chiefs. Yep. But, I mean, did he play in both games against the Chiefs this year? They were so bad at quarterback, oh, it probably uh, didn't matter. Uh, probably the first one, but I don't, I don't know. He, yeah, might, he might have already yeah. been traded by that point, actually. And and so, I mean, it's not like... I don't think Emmanuel Sanders is going to be able to bring anything to the table uh, in terms of, like, here's what Spagnolo and the Chiefs like to do as if he's been playing against this defense you yeah. know, for the, his whole tenure while he's been a Bronco. It's just... That might be the biggest difference between the Titans and the, and the 49ers because the Titans have that running game, so do the 49ers. But the Titans don't really have those weapons. And A.J. Brown has had a good season, but I think you saw once he was moved up to the number one receiver, he wasn't nearly as effective. Whereas the 49ers come at you with one of the two best tight ends in the NFL, a 
a blossoming star at receiver, and then Emmanuel Sanders, who's been a very good professional who might be a step slower than he once was, but still a very good route runner and a guy who could have a huge impact on the game. Yeah, five catches for 60 yards in the one game he played against the Chiefs this year. There you go. Uh, So my question, or what I'm thinking about with uh, the Chiefs' defense and the 49ers' offense is the Chiefs' uh, strategy. We discussed it with Derrick Henry. They did not stack the box in effort to stop the run. Um, does that continue this week? Do you do you let San Francisco get theirs on the ground and just say, we're not going to give you big plays and we're going to make you drive down the field and match Patrick Mahomes score for score? Is that, or do they, do they flood the run? Do they, do they switch it up this week uh, and kind of come after the run a little bit more because, and, and also just, the Shanahan, the, the Shanahan scheme of running the ball, I, I don't understand how only three people in the world know how to do it, and and not everybody in the NFL does it. Like, why don't the Chiefs run a Shanahan running scheme? Why doesn't everybody? Because it always works for, for how long now? Twenty five years we've seen the Shanahan scheme, and it's only Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, and Gary Kubiak, Gary Shanahan, who's who's been able to pull off this scheme seemingly, and nobody else can figure it out. But it's fucking dominant. I don't, I don't understand. It's just zone blocking. I don't know the X's and O's of it, but man, the Shanahan scheme just it it supersedes time. Well, and you get all the bootleg action off of it. Like, it's kind of boring. It's methodical, but it's always been effective for, like you said, I mean, two and a half decades at this point. I mean, I guess, like, if I look back at the way that they defended Tennessee, I... I I don't feel like it was a lot of like linebackers making plays. A lot of the shutting down of Derrick Henry was all happening up front. Yep. It was happening at the line of scrimmage. Yep. It was seeing the guys, you know, both on the interior and on the edge being able to fight through blocks and get Derrick Henry shut down for, you know, give or take plus or minus 2 yards from the line of scrimmage. Um and I mean, ultimately, you did see a couple hits from guys like Dan Sorensen and Damian Wilson, guys that like to kind of show some attitude, I guess, defensively. Like, but even that, I mean, Sorensen's tackle was, you. you know, 10 yards downfield or something. It wasn't like a, sh- a shutdown. Right, stop. right. So, I mean, I see some of these. And, like, maybe the thing with San Francisco that really speaks to that Shanahan system is that at different points this year... They've had completely different, this is our number one back, and he's running through, you know, professional defenses. And they've now kind of settled on Mostert toward the end of the year. The story of that 49ers offense is not all that different from, like, the Chiefs running game. We have all these guys, and we don't really know how to use them the best. And then you settle on one at the end of the year, and it looks, you know, the best that it has all season. Now, granted, San Francisco's running game, putting up way more you know, volume statistics than the Chiefs are, but we have Patrick Mahomes, so. Also of note, uh, most are averaging 5.6 yards per attempt. Tevin Coleman, who's a guy I love, only at 4.0. And Tevin Coleman dislocated his elbow. It seems like he's going to be able to play uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, Then they got the other guy, Brita. I don't even know if he's really playing right now. I mean, they really just seem to have gone to Moster. But the story on these three guys, they can all fly. They are fast um, you've you've heard uh, or I've heard cousin Sal all season just be like the Chiefs and the 49ers just look faster than everybody else, mm-hmm. 
And so I don't think that should be some huge surprise. It's not some huge secret why these two teams are in the Super Bowl. These two teams are just faster than everybody else. When we played the 49ers last year, um, there were some conversations in the media leading up to the game that, like, if there's a second fastest player in the NFL behind Tyreek Hill, it might be Matt Breida. And I want to say that Breida even was like, I, I'd be more than happy to race Tyreek. Um, and, I mean, that guy at, at different stretches when he's been healthy over the last couple seasons, like, Matt Breida is dynamic. Yep. Now, I don't know what percentage of the game plan he's going to have because it's just been the Mostert show the last few weeks. But, I mean, they've even had, like, Kendrick Bourne has had a few good games for them throughout yep. this year. I mean... They can shuffle through running backs like Alandis Gary and Mike Anderson and C.J. Anderson, just like you know Ruben Brown throws going through all no Sean Moreno, you know all these different dudes, and it's just like you just plug them in and it works. Yeah, I mean, and and even if you look at like some of the success of Houston, wasn't Kubiak coaching Houston for a while, yeah. and you get Arian Foster, Arian Foster, you know, it's like. They have that system has just churned out players of every different level of talent, and they end up being successful. It's unbelievable. I don't now, understand this, this Shanahan family secret. I feel like it's been so long since I've watched a team just like ten yards, fifteen yards, fifteen yards, ten yards, eight yards, six yards, ten yards down the field, running the ball over and over against this defense. That feels like a just like a different time. And it's not to say that we haven't seen it. It's not to say that we haven't even seen it against this team. But this is where that, like, the the momentum matters. Because I think that this defense is playing with such a high level of confidence that no matter if they do stack the box or not, I think that they feel ready to play this game. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I imagine that San Francisco's at that same level, too, but... They have to have something in the back of their minds of like, but Mahomes, yep. you know. And I don't know that San Francisco has that same sort of trump card. And and I don't know how. I mean, how confident can you ever feel in even over twenty five years of success in this offensive system that like we're just gonna be able to like run you to death in the Super Bowl? I just don't. I don't. I don't think that it works that way anymore. No. Well, you need a good quarterback on the other side, which. There was not in the NFC Championship. Yeah. We all are aware of that. Uh, just a few other things on the game. The 49ers, another weakness on the 49ers defense, they are 25th in red zone touchdown percentage. Okay. Um, which, I oddly enough, the Texans were 32nd and the Titans were 31st. So, like, it's kind of weird that, like, the Chiefs' weakness on offense throughout this season was, was in the red zone. Like, that was the biggest drop-off from 2018 to 2019. And then in the playoff run, we see the dead last second to last, and now in the Super Bowl, 25th ranked red zone defense, which is mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. So, um, obviously, in single games, red zone efficiency is everything, man. I mean, it's it's everything. It's huge. So, uh, that's one thing to keep an eye on. One of the few weaknesses, I, could, I mean, I was doing deep dives on the 49ers and Chiefs. I thought about firing up the, uh, the old sound machine here and then just being like, they're both good. Both teams are good. <laughs> both teams are good. Yeah. It's going to be a good game. I, I fully expect a good game. Um, I I think that if you're talking about the Chiefs' efficiencies in the red zone, it sure seems like the two like primary recipients 
um, are, are Damian Williams and Travis Kelsey. That those are the guys that are really doing a lot of the work inside the red zone. I don't have the stat, but Damian, Wilson, Damian Williams had like it's like the most touchdowns through five career playoff games. I think he tied the most rushing touchdowns through five career playoff games of his career or something. And you know, so nine, I think it was nine touchdowns in his first five games. Catching the ball out of the backfield, or just like making one guy miss as he runs to the edge. Yeah, touchdown uh, machine. And and I mean, what a timely guy! Talk about clutch gene, Damian Williams. He knows what time it is. Damian Williams and Sammy and and Sorensen are clutch guys. Speaking of Sammy, oh man, sounds like it's time for the Super Bowl edition of Sammy Watch. Hang on, I got. Do you have some binoculars? I needed to grab my Bushnells, but I didn't have them. Actually, Bushnells, Irish whiskey, the Bushnells. Holtis is talking about those on the broadcast still sometimes, right? Maybe that was a Grigsby thing. Um, I'm actually starting to think that after that performance, maybe this is more for Sammy than for me, but like. Instead of the binoculars, I'm almost thinking about like the uh, like the opera glasses. It's that's like his version of the Kermit tea. How about the Mister the Mister Peanut binocular? Yeah, I mean any of these things that are really gonna like help him uh, zoom in, or I guess at least for me, help me zoom in, because you know anytime I'm watching Sammy, I gotta get out my binoculars. I want to watch. <laughs> Kids, um, you know I do like watching him in the playoffs. It's a it's a it's a new and exciting way to watch Sammy Watkins. I I mentioned that it was worth it. That like all of it was worth it, and with Sammy, very very clearly worth it to see him perform like this in the playoffs. It's unbelievable what he's done the past two post-seasons that suddenly, like, after the vast majority of the year, like, not even putting up 50 receiving yards in most games, that he just pops off. And it's led to now people thinking that it's been so worth it to have Sammy Watkins that I heard not one, but, like, a dozen different conversations, both on radio and on television and on Twitter... Sammy Watkins really loves being in Kansas City. I I think that he's found a home here and that you're going to be able to talk him into signing an extension and doing a contract restructure and being here long term because there's just not a better situation in the NFL for Sammy Watkins. He's got all these great players around him. He's got a great quarterback and a great coach. Like, what more could you want? We went from Sammy Watkins, there's no chance, no <laughs> chance that man is playing in Kansas City beyond this season to, I, I think there's I think there's a, a real conversation to be had yep. about giving Sammy Watkins a contract extension. You know, you make, you make the catch to send the Chiefs to the Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years, and you can pretty much say whatever you want after that about the guy. Like, you could, you know, Sammy Watkins might, you might run for president of Kansas City. <laughs> Country, or maybe the mayor of Kansas City. There you go. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, I'm not going that far or anything. But Sammy, I it's fine. It's fine. I, I'll always remember that catch to send us to the Super Bowl. I mean, that that's what felt like the moment. Uh, even though we kind of made it difficult on ourselves later with the running out of bounds and throwing it and allowing a weird fake punt to be converted on on a weird play. That was a weird one. Uh, but that catch will always be the moment where it felt like the Super Bowl was was happening. So. 
you know, and it's and it's it's very poetic with all the Sammy bashing we have done for Sammy to be the one to lift us there. Uh, no surprise there. Was, I was totally ready for it, uh, and yeah, great moment. Great moment I'll, for Sammy. I guess I'll just put it this way, Sammy. We couldn't have done it without you, bro. Hey. Couldn't have done it without you. There you go. Uh, how about how about a trip down memory lane real quick? Past Chiefs 49ers matchup. Of course, we had last year. The Chiefs only won that game by 11 points somehow. Doesn't that seem weird? That's the game where Garoppolo got hurt. I think they were up 35-3. I was pretty blown away by the score. It was only 35-24. That's, that's the one where he had that on... Yep. Holmes had the unbelievable around. pass. Yep. That was first touchdown and arrow. That was week three. Yep. Chiefs' first home game with Patrick Mahomes. Yep. And like when we had a conversation after his MVP season, it was like, at what point did you really know? Like when you were super, super confident. And that was the moment for me where I was just like, holy crap! <laughs> oh my god! But I think for you, it was maybe the week before. It was the week Pittsburgh. before. Good memory there. Right? Good memory, yeah. When he put up six touchdowns against Pittsburgh, it was just uh, just dropping dimes all the time. All right, 2014. Alex Smith with the ball in the final drive to beat the old 49ers who employed him through a final drive interception. You remember that one? Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to look at Sammy Watkins' oh, tweets. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out. He tried to, say, trying well, to see We're going to lose you for the whole podcast. in the last few weeks. If we're uh, trying to decipher Sammy Watkins' tweets, I mean, might as well just pack it in and, and go home on this spot. We talked about the last, probably the last Sammy watch that I was like, I was wondering if Sammy was a tough hang or like the coolest guy <laughs> in the world, and I wanted to see if he had any like, you know, shout out to the aliens that you know allowed me to lift my spirits into the heavens during I, the AFC you know, Championship. I have and, since been told uh, that he belongs to a weird. Uh, Cultish society? Are you aware of this? I was. I did a little deep dive on it. It's kind of weird, but it's, so it's what a you're telling following. Me? It's it's with his reptilian being, where they think they're like actual reptiles. Okay, so what this, you're telling me is that this new giant church of Scientology being built at like 17th and Grand. Oh, is there? Is is he's Sam, funding that's it. Sammy Watkins? He's, contract. That's where he lives. That's, that's his contract. <laughs> that is Sammy's contract. <laughs> Uh, okay, 2010. How about Tony Moyaki? Three touchdowns at Arrowhead in a big time route. One of the was one of those the. Yep, one hander. <sighs> yep, the Tony Moyaki introduction. Who could Man. forget it? Uh, 2006, we beat the uh, 49ers 41 nothing. We played against Alex Smith in his young, very young career. Uh, he had 92 yards passing. Um, so that's you know kind of on par for Alex and for 49er quarterbacks. Uh, 2002, we lost to him close, and I always remember Julian Peterson shutting down Tony Gonzalez, who had one catch for six yards. Oh, man, I had a huge Madden crush on Julian Peterson. I would, I loved, like, doing the franchise He's like 6'6". Six, and, and doing, like, the whole NFL draft. Oh, the fantasy draft? Yeah, yeah Julian Peterson. First pick. I, I really liked. He was great for five minutes. Uh, 2000, we lost 21-7. I honestly do not remember that game whatsoever. 1997, the 11-1 49ers came into Arrowhead. The Chiefs beat them 44-9. This was peak Rich Gannon in the Gerback-Gannon season. This was, this was the height of him. Uh, we destroyed them. It's probably one of the best wins in Arrowhead ever. I mean, just given they came in 11-1. I think they were defending Super Bowl champions at that time, and we just layeth the smacketh down on them. Mm. Um, 1994, Joe Montana versus Steve Young. 
24-7 win by the good guys. Um, and that's, that's really all the ones that I can remember, uh, but just a fun look at past Chiefs and 49ers games. They only play every four years, so not that many. Um, but a lot of them in the good guys' favor. Listen, I, uh, I appreciate the context. I think this one coming up next Sunday... Might be a little bigger. It, it might be the most important game that the Chiefs and 49ers have played against each other. It's probably the biggest one, right? You think? Yeah. yeah. Um, How you feeling? Are you nervous? No. I mean, it's weird. So, like, I'm not really nervous about, like, the game transpiring. I'm not nervous that, like, someone's going to get hurt or some terrible thing is going to go wrong. I, I... Because of a lot of the 2019 Chiefs stuff, the way that that's built up throughout the season, um, and for all the talking points that you could come up with, I feel really confident. Entering the playoffs, I just said, like, I don't... There's nothing on the field that I'm really worried about with this team. They're playing the best football at the right time. They seem as healthy as you can be. Don't get me wrong, losing guys like Alex Okafor and Emmanuel Ogba over the course of the season was tough, but the team is performing at such a high level, and I was thinking that before they even ended up you know, winning the two games that it took to get them to the Super Bowl. And so, like, especially after the way they performed the last two weeks, I was already confident. And so now I'm just like, okay, whoever, bring them on. Um, oh, man. It, well, no, it reminded me of the guy going into Arrowhead where they're like, are you ready for the Chiefs? Are you excited? Yeah. I mean, was, it never was, got out of word. Never got out of word. That guy, yeah. that guy is my hero. <laughs> As he pulls away. He so like, away. I mean, I think it's... Oh, man. I, I will say, however... I feel like I'm being pulled in a number of different directions in terms of... Oh, you got to go Chiefs. Like, what's, what's this day going to be like? So, the my my place of work, which I love, the Corvino Supper Club. If you haven't been there and you live in Kansas City, you should oh, go. It's at 19th uh, Wall. That's up. great. Anyway, we have our employee party. At noon that day. They moved it early so that people could go on their merry way um, and, and watch the Super Bowl. So, I'm like, I get to have free fried chicken at noon on Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday? Sounds great. But at the same hey, props time... props to you for being able to eat. I, I will be lucky to get any food that's down my body that day. I remember. Oh, my God. The Colts game. Wasn't it the Colts playoff game? Uh, when you were like, I'm going to eat three bites of this Z-Man yeah. and then like, can't right. touch it again. No, not a um, nervous eater. I'm a oh nervous God. starver. I've had a lot of people reach out. Yeah, uh, they they appreciate the words that I've that I've spread. Of a, you know, it's a it's a thing. It's a thing. It sounds uh, like us need to unite. Yeah. It's tough. It's well, tough. because then you start drinking and then you get very sloppy if you don't eat. You drink. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Uh, I do the exact opposite. I eat anything I can get my hands on, and I'm not consuming alcohol. I just, I kind of want to just lock myself in a room away from everyone in the world and just watch this game by it's, myself. It's crazy how it changes things. I mean, it goes from a social event to a Chiefs game. And not a Chiefs game, but the biggest Chiefs game of our lifetimes. Uh, so it really just changes. I mean, we've had I've had a Super Bowl party the last couple of years, so... Uh, people might be reaching out. They might even be listening to this. 
and I'm going to be blunt with you, you are not invited. It is a very exclusive club that will be in my living room, and that's nothing against you guys. It's just I, I have a very small Chiefs-watching family. I want to be around them. I want to be completely honed in on the game. Uh, so it's, it's weird how these two weeks, just Super Bowl weeks, feel, feel different, you know? Well, and it's like the two relationships in my life. I mean, I, I have a, a long list, but like the two people that mean the most in terms of who am I going to watch the game with are you and my dad. And it's like I don't know which place I should be. And then I start doing some of the calculus on like how close or far away from Kansas City do I want to be when, you know, when this game is happening. And then it's like, I mean, maybe people are like, shut up. But like, I have class the next day. And I'm definitely taking off class for the day of the parade. So I have to like... I'm just, I have all these different things, and I just don't know what I'm going to do. I feel the most comfortable and the most confident about watching the game by myself, away from everyone else, so that no matter what my reactions are, they're private. <laughs> like, but I also can't imagine not being able to, like, hug the people that I want to hug after having won the Super Bowl. Is there any way... That I can watch the game with Andy Reid because that's who I want to hug mm. the most after the game is over. I, I've kind of noticed that Chiefs players are kind of acting like me with, in regards of Andy Reid this week. Uh, we had Travis Kelsey say he's tired of the media saying Andy Reid can't win the big one. I believe I've been on that rampage for a couple years. Uh, the the number of reason I love Andy Reid, I think he's just disrespected amongst the national media the way they people talk about him about an all time great coach. Uh, you have Patrick Mahomes saying that he wants to win a Super Bowl more for Andy Reid than he does himself. Uh, I believe that statement has come out of my mouth multiple times. You even have the team dressing up in Hawaiian shirts. We created a, an Andy Reid Hawaiian shirt, and I wear it to most home games that I that I go to. Uh, oh, it's, I see him. Trav? In the Hawaiian? Oh, yeah. I was, as, as you started talking about it, I was like, i got to find all of my guys. There's a picture of them the on the bus, shirts. too, where there are, are all, oh. it's about eight of them. And then you have Daniel, Dirty Dan Sorensen giving this mean mug to the camera, uh, and he is all business about that. It's a business trip. But man, I I will say I kind of feel like a, a mess, even, you know, seven, eight days out. Uh, I wake up, immediately start thinking about the Chiefs and can't get back to sleep. For, I think the first thought is like, oh shit, is it real? Are we in the Super Bowl? Yeah, we're in the Super Bowl. And then I just start thinking, I just start processing the game, thinking about it. And it's, it's destroyed my sleep these, these past couple weeks, but uh, it's fun. It's also fun to wake up and think about the Chiefs constantly, and then watch any show that talks about them, and they're always talking about the Chiefs, it seems like. So, um, man, amazing. Media night tomorrow, pumped for that. I, I like watching that when it's not the Chiefs. I mean, I'm going to be all over that with the Chiefs out there. Um, I've just like kind of had a smile plastered on my face really through the entire course of the playoffs, but, like, I don't know. Here, Okay, so if I have the terror in any way, it's how satisfied I feel at being in the Super Bowl. I can still say, like, yeah, like, that's not the goal. The goal is not getting to the Super Bowl. It's winning it. But I feel like we've always talked about this, and I've been on the belief that my goal is always to get to the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like this... Because I just wanted to be a part of like the festivities. Like I, I love these two weeks. Uh, I wanted like the Chiefs to be in this. I want to see the Chiefs everywhere. Then me and talked about. And when you think about past Super Bowls, I remember both teams. 
Like, I don't remember just Super Bowl winners. I remember Super Bowls, the games, because it's such a big event. You remember both teams participating, even the losing team. So it was always my goal to just, you know, make the game, and I thought that was the end prize. Now, it's been changed a little bit. Chiefs 2019 has changed that. It wasn't, I wasn't predicting that the Chiefs make the Super Bowl. That's not what I said almost three years ago. It was that the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So that's changed things. Um, And then Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Andy Reid, obviously, he's been here before. Winning one is the the next step for him. Um, So that's that's added to it. And it's really just kind of changed my expectations, my hopes. I feel like if this happened, you know, randomly, like the 2015 Chiefs, if they broke through and made the Super Bowl, I would have been so super satisfied with just making it. I would have been thrilled. And obviously I'm thrilled right now, and I don't know how I'd feel after a loss. Uh, but I do feel like the expectations have been ramped up these last couple of years, and it, and it feels like winning it is is the ultimate goal. I, that probably sounds silly to, to a few of you, but I know we've had these conversations on here that I and I have expressed that making the Super Bowl was always uh, my the goal as a fan. Like, that was the breaking point. It's I mean, it, it's weird because... I do feel such a sense of accomplishment and and just like relief that we're there. Um, we're there, dude. We're there. <laughs> um, the thing that's really caught my attention has kind of resonated uh, as we near the Super Bowl is the clip of Travis Kelsey being asked, you know. Something along the lines of, like, what does it mean to, you know, try to get Andy Reid back to the Super Bowl? Man. And he looks straight at whoever asked the question. He's just like, going isn't the goal. Winning one is. I'll leave it at that. Walks away. Oh, my God. That's and so I was nice. just like... I'm not sure if anyone's reputation has grown more in the last couple of weeks than Travis Kelsey for me. Like, he is just... It's not like I didn't like Travis Kelsey or anything, but now I just... He is an ultimate Chiefs legend. And a lot of his... The way he's playing, the way he broke through in that Texans game and almost kind of carried us through that game. Uh, and then just the way he's talking. I mean, he comes up this week and he's just like, I, I love this city. I always want to be a chief. I'm playing for this city, yada, yada. We've talked about the contract thing num- numer- numerous times at this point. And I've just been amazed by everything that he's he's said to the city. And then watching, there was a mic'd up video that the Chiefs had with Travis Kelsey. I haven't watched and to, it. Oh, my God, I it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and just the energy that Travis Kelsey brings, and he's that's I mean, he's just saying energy over and over, but just the way he exudes energy to the team. And just think about some of the past videos, him, you know, doing the chop on the sideline or just screaming like in support of his teammates. Uh, Travis Kelsey, man, that's he's he's climbing up there for me, climbing up there. And you know, like how it's happening for me is like Travis Kelsey has never been particularly private, right? I mean, the guy was on a fucking dating show for crying out yep. loud. But this sounds worse than I'm intending. I never knew like how genuine some of that stuff was. I never really felt like I like had a good grasp on who Travis Kelsey is other than this dude that just seems like he likes to party. He's willing to fight for his right to party. In yeah, fact. so I've heard. Um, but I feel like over the, the course of this season... Um, and you can, you can extend it to say, you know, maybe over the last few years, but certainly this season and really in the last month or so as the coverage ramps up because you're getting closer to the greatest spectacle in sports, I feel like I'm getting to know him a little bit. 
starting to see things about what matters to him football-wise that I don't know if we knew before now. I mean, it always seemed like Travis Kelsey was a little preoccupied with off-the-field type of stuff. His cachet, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and Raising his profile, yeah. And, his brand and and fashion and don't get me wrong, he still wants to do things in the community, eighty seven and running and and things like that. But it's like when you have a guy on your team that's willing to do like a dating show or something, it definitely seems like he's preoccupied yes. a little bit. Yep. And he had had moments where his focus on the field had been, you know, lacking, so to speak, and drops might just be part of who he is. Or oh, remember um, the infamous video before week one, I'm a changed man. After that Steelers game, mm. or like I'm, I'm not, I'm done with the stupid shit. And then that Week One game, like an hour after that airs, there he was getting another personal foul on the right. game. But, uh, but I, I think, yeah, which there's just no denial about where his commitment is. He's fully committed to this team and and winning with this team. And it's just that's that's all he wants. That's all I want. I'll give you uh, a little anecdote. I don't know if I told this story uh, on the podcast or not, but maybe. Two months ago, during the season, one night, Travis Kelsey with a large group of friends and potentially family members came into my restaurant. I got to serve them. It was a group of like 12 people. And Travis Kelsey, the reputation that he has as this guy that like likes to party. You've seen him chugging beers at basketball games with Mahomes and... You know, you have to fight for your right to party. When people talk about, like, what the celebrations would be like after the game, they're like, you know Travis Kelsey is running up a tab at Ale House or wherever. Like, he he's the, you know, the guy that's at the center of a lot of that stuff. Yep. Seeing Travis Kelsey firsthand, and it's not like it's like a Saturday night, got a game tomorrow. Uh, Travis Kelsey was the only person in that party that didn't have anything to drink that night. Hmm. And I honestly was kind of surprised. Very, I mean, reserved, like, personable. He was nice. But, like, a very lively bunch of people, and he was the least lively of all of them. Hmm. And that was really interesting to me to see a guy that, like, that's not how I perceived him at all. Carrying himself, and especially, like, in the comfort of being around all of, like, his people. And they were in a private room. It wasn't like the whole restaurant just knew Travis Kelsey was there at 7 o'clock on the busiest night of the year. I mean, he could have done whatever he wanted and not really worried about it. And that guy was quiet and collective. And honestly, like, I wouldn't have expected him to act any different after seeing that, like, if he were eating at the restaurant, you know, last night. Just laser-focused. And I think that that speaks to... Leadership. He understands the moment that he's in. He has understood the goal, and it's winning a Super Bowl. And some of this, I genuinely wonder. I I want to. I don't know if there's a whole lot else that we need to do today. If there's anything specific you want to get to, you can let me know. No, but no. I I think it's really important to give some credit to the way that Clark Hunt has stepped in and out of the picture when he feels like it's the right time to do that. Because we've all seen, through some way, this video of Clark Hunt addressing the team before the season and saying, 
Here are the goals. And when he tells you anything short of winning the Super Bowl is a disappointment, um, and having the team embrace and not not having it be a joke like that. Mark Davis says yeah. that to the Raiders locker room yeah. or something. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Clark has found this perfect balance of although. We have a lot of questions maybe about where some of his loyalties lie and he's always more of a, a protect the shield kind of guy and different things that we've had all these different narratives that have mostly been negative about Clark Hunt. Well, I feel like I've learned a lot about him the last two years and what I feel like is doing whatever it takes to get his team into this position. He has spared no expense when it comes to hiring people, trying to find the right guy. Um, and, and really trying to align this team with a unified vision of where they're headed and steps in, says a few words, steps back out, AFC Championship game, this is my dad's house, this is like my legacy, I'm banging that drum, and I'm going to do it very enthusiastically, like this guy that we thought was very vanilla, buttoned up, you know, and, and I think that we've started to see how much that guy cares, how much this means to him. And that's going to drastically alter my perspective on essentially the ownership of this football team for the rest of my life. Um, And that's what something like going to a Super Bowl does. If you're a Chiefs fan and you are this deeply engaged with your favorite team, runs like this are really special. Yep. And uh, like I, I just I could I couldn't be happier to have seen Clark Hunt kind of come out of his shell in a very Clark Hunt way. I guess he surprised me in a lot of ways, um, but you know it also still seems kind of apropos of Clark Hunt. Uh, yeah, and, and so I had I, I tweeted out like pretty like a couple hours before the game last week, like just win this fucking one for Andy, and someone replied, and I wish I knew who this was. I don't have the name in front of me, sorry. Uh, but he was like today is for Clark Hunt two weeks from now is for Andy. Mm. And I thought that was very, very poignant just because Clark Hunt is getting the trophy with his dad's name on it. Like, that's that's what he wanted. That's That was it for him. Mm. Giving but his now, mom that moment to be able to kiss the trophy on the stage, mm-hmm. like, that one got me. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, she's literally kissing her husband's name. <laughs> like, I, it's... There have been some really powerful moments, man, with this team. Yeah. With this run. But this week, it's it's Andy time, man. This one's it's for Andy. And I fucking love that man. Um, I'm I am going to lose it when he uh, accepts that trophy. I just I want it for him so bad just because all the narratives, all the all the the making fun of Andy Reid when I think he is uh, just a Awesome coach, awesome person. I just love everything about him. Like he is, he is number one for me, um, and I just really hope that he gets his moment. Like I, I feel like we get a chance. I always felt so bad that Marty never got his, and I feel like we can almost just like right a wrong if we can just get Andy uh, what what he deserves, and and he deserves this championship. And man, that that first shot of him when we win this. It's it's gonna be too much. It's gonna be too much, <laughs> and I I cannot wait, man. I, I want this for Andy Reid so bad. I I love that big jolly 
big jolly red green giant red giant whatever oh man i want him i want it for him so bad and so i that's uh that's my last words I went for Andy. I saw you put Win the picture Andy, out baby. of of you and Andy. Me and Andy. And Me and Andy. Uh, I was thinking about that exchange. We were using your phone, and it had the the phone case on it. Was the game like a, is the was Game like Boy. Game Boy. Yep. And he was like, Andy, like he he just it's weird because I don't know like how loose he is when he's completely away from the cameras and his job and everything. But like even in that moment, he's like. I haven't seen one of these suckers in forever. <laughs> and like, he's just like, he had been standing there talking to Jason Cole for 25 minutes yep. while we're eavesdropping yeah. on his scouts and coaches. <laughs> and we're just like, hey, uh, and he's like, come on. Come on up. Like, just happy to take pictures with two poorly dressed, yeah. very random <laughs> Chiefs fans. Who've just been loitering. Game. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. And winning the AFC Championship? I ate a cheeseburger and I went to bed. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Andy! What a what a boss! What a fucking boss, man! This one, this one is for Andy, um, and that's it from Dirk. Chiefs twenty nineteen, it's coming, it's happening. One more, one uh, more, baby. You know what, Dirk? We are in lockstep, uh, folks. This has been, believe it or not, the Amateur Hour Super Bowl Spectacular. Mm. For your 2019 Kansas City Chiefs, I'm Ryan Scott Hall. He's his darkness, and this is Fish with 46 days, or I guess in this case, might as well be 50 years. <laughs> 46 days, 50 years. What's the difference? Yeah. I have all these people at work that are like, dude, so what are you doing for the game? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm like, stop asking me. I don't know. I felt weird getting away from Kansas City like right as it happened. But man, being out on the mountain. So I take my, uh, I have a Tony Richardson jersey that's oversized, but I had to get it because only Tony Richardson jersey I've ever seen. Only one you could find. So it's an XL, you know, jerseys always run huge anyways. So I throw it over my winter coat. So I'm skiing. Over your shoulder I'm pads. throwing skiing all. Yeah, pretty much looks like it. <laughs> so I'm skiing all day in the Tony Richardson jersey and Chiefs hat, and just getting cat calls all over the place, man. All over the place. Either fellow Chiefs fans or just people talking about the Chiefs game. Uh, Broncos fans being way nicer than I ever expected. Not not one negative mm-hmm. encounter at all. Just like you know, like a little ribbing, like oh, you can't wear that shit around here. And I was just like, it's our time, baby. Yeah. It is our time. And they're like, yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. I mean. I think I feel like everyone's just happy for everyone on the team. Andy, uh, I think people love Mahomes generally. Chiefs fans, like I think, I think America is rooting for the Chiefs. Yeah, and it's weird because I feel like I've seen so many people be like, "You just can't bet against Mahomes right now." And um, I mean, did you hear the the Ethan Hawk? What if it's Andy Reid's time? Oh yeah, yeah, it was with, like the, with, uh, with somebody. It was Simmons was talking to. I can't even remember. Is it Mays or Kevin Clark or someone? Maybe maybe it was Robert Mays. I don't know. Somebody just like in in Brooklyn, running into Ethan Hawke in a coffee shop, and that guy doesn't even know who he's talking to, and he's just like. Hey man, you watched that game last night? <laughs> it's like, can you? What a surreal moment! And ultimately, coming to the table with maybe it's just Andy Reid's time. Uh, I hope there's no maybe about it. It is Andy's time. It's Andy's time, baby. We're nineteen Chiefs. Over and out. Hey, I really enjoyed that. Congratulations, honey. You were. Cool.
great.